We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, hello everyone and welcome to episode 88 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We've got a packed show for you guys today. We're breaking down Gamecocks baseball, dropping two of three games in Knoxville over the weekend. We'll break down that series in its entirety. Also, some comments from Frank Martin today as he talked about his status as South Carolina Gamecocks head coach and reflected on the 2018-2019 season. Uh, Also, we'll talk some South Carolina football as we get ready for the spring game coming up next weekend. Uh, We'll talk some strengths and weaknesses on the South Carolina football team as we get closer to the spring game and get closer to wrapping up spring practice. Also, we have a fantastic interview with all-time points leader and former Gamecocks kicker Elliot Fry as he talks about his career at South Carolina playing under Steve Spurrier playing for the Orlando Apollos and the AAF and much, much more. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. If you have not done so yet, be sure to go download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP. It's going to save you $10 off your first purchase. They literally have tickets to everything from concerts, comedy club events, obviously your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports, any sporting events you're going to. Um, also, if you're going to March Madness, AAF, like I mentioned, NFL, uh, NBA, NHL, literally anything you need tickets to, they've got it on SeatGeek. they got the best prices, and they actually rate the tickets on a ticket rating system. So you know if you're getting a really, really good deal or maybe if you're getting ripped off, they kind of let you know ahead of time. So, again, go download SeatGeek. Use our promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. What kind of work do you do? I'm Chris Phillips. He's Thomas Floyd. Tom, good to be back. Um, I'll just ask, how was your week? Obviously, a, a pretty sad week for you. I know with Rob Gronkowski announcing his retirement. But uh, overall, how you been, man? Uh, pretty much my entire weekend was clouded by Gronk retiring. I really just don't want to leave my room ever again. I want to cry myself to sleep every night thinking about that Rob Gronkowski is not going to be on the New England Patriots. But there is some hope, I guess. Some people, some of the Patriots fan accounts I've been been I follow on, on Instagram and other stuff, have been saying that it's very likely that he'd come back for like a a playoff run or come back at the past for like the offense was really down and Brady asked him to come back. That it's likely that he would, but it just it sucks because he could if he'd have been healthy for his entire career and he'd have played like three more years, he'd have every record there was to ever have. He would be the undisputed goat, which I think at this point 
for tight ends. I think he, if, he, if he's not top three in your book, then you're, you're just on crack. I think a lot of people have him at one, too. But um, sucks for that. But um, other than that, I mean, it was a solid weekend. Just another one in the books. What, what a great life to live when you can retire when you're 30. I mean, he's 29, so or 20, he, whatever. If, yeah, if he becomes a if he becomes a first ballot Hall of Famer, him, Jim Brown, and I can't remember the other person will be the only people to become first ballot Hall of Famers and not play in their 30s. Yeah, I mean that that's insane. Like, it, I, I heard the news and I was like, man, it just doesn't even feel like he's played that long because I mean he really hasn't. What seven, eight years? Well, I guess eight uh, years. I think it's eight. Like that. Yeah, right at eight years, and I mean, he's not he's 30 years old or about to be 30 years old, I mean, it's just crazy. But on a non-sports-related note, I have to say, I, I don't know why I wanted to talk about this. It was the first thing that came to my head. I probably got the best $13 haircut the other day that I've ever gotten in my entire life. Just on a note in case anyone – super cuts. So it's actually the same – and I'm pretty sure that's the company that's in the Gamecock football facility, right, because they're spur cuts. It's like a play on super cuts, but – yeah, super cuts. I mean, dude, $13 haircut. The guy – so I get a buzz cut. Everybody probably knows, probably has seen me at some point. I get a buzz cut, pretty simple, pretty plain and simple. I used to have the comb over a couple years ago, got rid of it. It was just too much to handle. So went back to the buzz cut, though. I go in there and get a cut. The guy shapes up my beard without even asking me and doesn't charge me. So mm. I'm definitely going back. He definitely earned a repeat customer. It was my first time ever going there. So I, I was – that made my day a couple of days ago. I'm Man. not going to lie to you. So, especially story. after a tough weekend, I needed a good haircut, and that, that guy came through in the clutch. So. Well, just a quick story one time. I, like, I couldn't – like, I've never really had a good hairdresser in my life, like someone to cut my hair, a barber, I guess, because, like, I always I just let my mom do it because I'm a young guy and I've never had to do that. So I get into college, and, like, I go home to get my haircut, and I go to this – I think it's, it was a sports clips or sports cuts, whatever it's called. That big one that, like, they always play sports on TV and whatever else, and it's mainly yeah, for yeah, men, yeah. Hair, yeah. men's haircuts. So I went to the one in Florence. Dude, They she messed up my hair so bad. And I had to pay, like, $20 <laughs> for that haircut for whatever reason because they offered me some kind of deal on something that I was just like, sure, I'll pay for it, whatever. And so she, like, messed up my hair so bad. She roasted my hairline, which really isn't that bad at all. And then, like, it was just a terrible experience. She roasted your hairline, like, said something about it? Yeah. Like, she was oh like, Oh, my God. The girl who cut it was like, Wow, you have a really bad, like, uh, widow's peak. And I was like, Thanks. <laughs> like, I don't know. I get like, I, I'll okay. definitely tip you now. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. What a bit dick. <laughs> but anyway, um, so the next day, and I should have done this to start with, I went to a friend that was a little bit older than me in high school and was cutting hair like got her to basically fix it but she almost had to like buzz cut my hair to, to mess up what the other girl did and I've, i will never support a sports flips in my life again just from that one experience i hated yeah. that much. dude i've I've had my fair like i've had when i first moved to charlotte you know i like i said i had the comb over with like the hard part like basically i had the banker's haircut that was pretty much what people call it or whatever just the basic comb over whatever so when i first moved here i was like i'm just want to get a haircut and i'm in a rush i didn't know the places around here like when you have like when you get a buzz cut, you can go anywhere. That's why I go to like a, a super clips or great clips. Yeah. Or, it's like you can't mess up a buzz cut really. But when you have a haircut like that, like you're saying, like you actually have hair where you need to style it and all that stuff. I went to like a great clips and got it cut, and I told them to do a hard part. Dude, they put a gap in my head, probably two inches wide. I, I swear to God, I, and I was working a job, thankfully, where, where it was like a casual dress. I I think I wore a hat for the next like month. 
till it just grew in. I had to wear it. I wore a hat so outside. Bad. I called into work the day after I got that haircut from sports clothes. I was like, I'm not going out because because where I was working out was a law firm and like I had to wear like nice clothes. So I was like, I'm not going and showing up to work with this haircut. There's nothing off. worse than getting. There's nothing that'll ruin your day more than getting just a really bad haircut. There's nothing worse than you get like your car. You look in the in in the uh, the rear view mirror. And you're like, oh my god. Yeah. Like in high school, whenever you like got a bad haircut, you couldn't just like skip school and you can't wear hats in class. Like that was the worst. Yeah. I hated that so much. Yeah. And and that was hair talk with the Spurs up show, Chris and Tom with hair talk. All right. So (laughs) let's get into uh, obviously the baseball series over the weekend. Gamecocks dropping two of three to Tennessee. Also, just before we came on to record, South kind of dropping a midweek game to the North Carolina A&T Aggies. Tom, I feel like you can relate to the common fan that I'm about to talk about that is tweeting at me uh, and tweeting at, you know, the Gamecock baseball account and all kinds of different things just all over social media. Fans asking if they should panic. Tom, have you hit the panic button on baseball season yet? I don't think I could hit the panic button because I don't personally care enough about baseball to, like, pay attention to everything. Hey, I hope our fans and listeners know that at this point, but – I mean, just looking at box scores, like, I think Tennessee beat us pretty bad Friday night, and it was close. Yeah, 15-5 Friday night. And, and then uh, Saturday was, a, I think, 6-3. to three. I can pull it up, but I think 6-3. to three. Sunday was another loss, like 2-3. Yeah, I can pull it up real quick. I mean – My score is mixed up a little bit. Here's my thing, man. Baseball is a long season. It's longer than football. You're only, you're playing a ton a lot, of games. A lot longer than basically every back. other season. Yeah, I mean, there's room for error. Like, you can you have a couple a little while to figure everything out, and you'll still be okay. But, I mean, if we're – I mean, give it another three weeks, and we have a, a bad of a record in the SEC as we do now, I think that's when you probably should hit the panic button and say, yeah, this season's most likely a wash. But right now, I mean, to me – the way I grade the season for baseball is did we beat Clemson and are we in the postseason? Because if you do those two things, if you beat Clemson, then I'm happy. And if you're been po- and you make it to the postseason, that means you have a chance to do something big and make it to Super Regionals and then make it to Omaha. So that's yeah. how I judge it. If you do those things and I'm okay with it, I think it's a good season. But if you're not doing those things, then we're going to have a, a different conversation. But we beat Clemson, so one of my, I guess, two goals <laughs> for the year would be good, but – I don't know, just make the postseason and see what happens. I mean, anything can happen in – like in March, like right now with March Madness, anything can happen in March Madness, anything can happen in baseball postseason. Yeah, and I mean, they, like you're saying, make the postseason. There's a ton of time. I, I, yeah. It's what I wanted to get to. So the scores were this weekend. South Carolina lost Friday 15-5 to five, uh, in a game that really just got away from them. Saturday won 3-2. to two. I knew it was closer than what I was saying. 3-2 to two in a game where Brett Carey um, absolutely came through for you once again in the clutch. Um you know, pitched the last two innings, got out of a bases loaded jam. I mean, just really was the hero, similar to the Clemson game, was the hero for you in a 3-2 win. And then Sunday, South Carolina gets to the ninth inning. You know, you're up. You're up in that game. And, uh, you know, you simply just can't close the door. I mean, you're up 3-2 to two going to the bottom of the eighth, give up four runs in the bottom of the eighth, lose the game 6-3. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, listen, I came in the last weekend series saying that I – you know, you heard me tell I thought it was a must – as close to a must win as you could get in March in baseball season. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't ever, I use the term must win so loosely because it's never really a must win unless it's a game where if you really don't win, your season's just completely over. But I felt like it was sort of like, this is a series South Carolina really, really, really needs to take because, I mean, it was a Tennessee team. You had beaten nine straight games, a Tennessee team. I don't even remember the last time they lost a series at Tennessee. It, 
a series where you always felt like you came into the season as, all right, we're the Tennessee series up. Is it we're at least going to win two or three, maybe even sweep. Good chance we'll sweep. And listen, I know Tennessee's an upstart program that, you know, having a really, really good year. Their pitching staff is very legit. I mean, I will say that just watching them over the weekend. Um, one thing I'll say about the series unrelated to the on the field stuff. I don't know if you caught any of the games, Tom, but the stream was probably the worst thing yeah. I've ever seen. The baseball stream for Tennessee. It was literally you were just having to the the camera transitions were so slow, you basically didn't even see the play happen. So you just heard the announcers, you saw the pitch, you saw the runner going, and you just kinda had to guess what was happening at that point. But anyways, that's a little bit unrelated, but it was just terrible. It was just part of a miserable weekend. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, you just – it's a series where you feel like you're, you're, you're supposed to win it. Um, even going on the road in Knoxville, I mean, listen, I, I – one of my biggest – obviously the pitching continues to be a question, continues to be an issue, especially with bullpen depth. Um, you know, and I said this on the Daily Crow, I, I don't think that, you know, just kind of jumping and breaking down the series. Listen, you've lost two series in a row because you couldn't shut the door. That's basically what it comes down to. We don't, South Carolina right now, because of injuries, stuff like that, lack of depth, whatever, um, and guys really, in my opinion, a guy saw your bridges not performing to what you thought he would. Um, South Carolina's lost back-to-back series because of that. Because, you, you know, listen, you could have won two out of three against Georgia if you had a guy that could have come in the ninth and shut the door the final game on Sunday. Back-to-back Sundays, really. You'd have won that game Sunday if you had a guy that could have come in the eighth and shut the door on that game as well. Um, you know, I said it on the Daily Crow, and it, it's kind of harsh, but I wouldn't let Sawyer Bridges pitch in, in, in SEC play again until he gets a couple of midweek appearances and, you know, proves he can be that guy again. Because he has – I think he's blown three saves on the season. And, listen, he's thrown bad. I mean, he's gotten tattooed. So, Yikes. I don't know what his issue is. I mean, listen, I, I – I heard from pretty reliable sources that, I mean, his shoulder is all sorts of just messed up. So, I mean, it it shocks me that, you know, he's even out there throwing right now. I mean, it shocks me that he's the guy that they're going to, in my opinion, which I think tonight showed a lot. There's, there's going to be some shuffling in the Gamecocks pitching staff because you saw Wesley Sweat throw tonight. You saw Brett Carey throw tonight. Um, Dylan, you know, just on another side note, Dylan Harley threw tonight, who's a guy I'm really high on and had a really good start for South Carolina. Um, but again, with Wesley Sweat and Brett Carey throwing, I'm very interested and intrigued to see kind of if and what the the changes are in the Gamecocks pitching staff. Because honestly, Tom, in my opinion, listen, the lineup, which was bad tonight, you lose 2 nothing in North Carolina A&T, the lineup obviously just wasn't good enough. But in SEC play, you can say what you want about the South Carolina lineup. I mean, listen, I'd love for them to score 10 runs a game and make this a non-issue, but you win in the SEC with pitching. It's just like in SEC football when you get to conference, but you win in the SEC with defense. Like, that's how you win games. You can have a great offense, a flashy offense, a, a big-time playmaker, but the best teams win because they have a dominant defense. They have the best defense, right? The baseball is the same way. The team with the best pitching, more often than not, is going to win because great pitching beats great hitting. So, to me, I mean, I, I think the South Carolina offense, I, you'd like to see them do more. You'd definitely like to see them strike out less. But South Carolina could be sitting at, you know, what, four and two, you know, in the SEC right now with back-to-back series wins if they just simply had the pitching depth or the guys in the right places to step up and, and shut the door for them. And to me, you know, I, I, I really hope to see Reed Morgan move to Friday night this upcoming weekend. Obviously, Gamecock's taking on Auburn in a huge – I mean, every series from this point is going to be huge because you've put yourself in such a hole – 
South Carolina one and five for the second straight season. I mean, you've put yourself in such a hole where you're going to need to rattle off some good weekends. Like, there's just, I mean, no other way to put it. I mean, South Carolina, I think, won, what, eight SEC series in a row last year and still didn't host their own regional after they started one and five. So, you sort of know what you've got to do at this point. So, what I really want to see, I want to see Reed Morgan move to Friday night because I, I like Wesley Sweat. I think he's got all the talent, ability in the world. I think he's thrown pretty well. But you're asking a true freshman to go out there every single Friday night in the SEC and compete with some of the guys he's going to be throwing against, which are, you know, we're talking first couple of rounds, like MLB professional guys. Like, these are not – they're not freshmen on the other side. These are dudes. He's facing off against dudes. So, you know, I'd like to see Reed Morgan in that role just simply because he's a little bit older. He's a veteran. Um, you know, he's been your best pitcher this season, and it's so tough when, you know, you're putting yourself in a hole. And I think Reed Morgan's a guy that sets the tone, too. So, he's a guy that can set the tone on the weekend because it's tough when you're putting yourself in a hole and you're getting a Saturday, you know, first two weekends down 0-1. I mean, it's just tough to make a living that way. Um, so, I think Reed Morgan can give them a much better chance to get off to a good start on the weekend, maybe win that opening game, maybe take some of the pressure off. Um and then, listen, I'd also like to see Brett Carey become the Gamecocks closer. I think that's the best role for him right now because right now it feels like to me they don't really know – there's so many different different there's so many different places they could put him. It, it, from what is, Coach Kingston said, they've solidified or they've settled on T.J. Shook as the Sunday starter. So if that's the case, Brett Carey, in my opinion, needs to be your closer. Listen, I don't know if he can pitch on back-to-back days. I think that would probably be my biggest question because if he can't, you know, you need your closer closer to be able to go back-to-back days, like an inning or so. But, uh, I mean, as good as he's been, as shut down as he's been, I mean, Saturday night what he did, had bases loaded, got out of him. And that That's what your closer does. He has that kind of swing and miss stuff and can get out of tough jams and stuff like that. So, I mean, I just think they need to put Brett Carey in a role where he can really succeed. Either make him a starter or make him your closer. Don't have him in some weird middle-inning relief role where, like, he's pitching innings, but, like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, he needs to have a bigger impact. He's too good not to have a bigger impact. So, you know, listen, for Gamecock fans asking, I know people in our, our mentions asking, you know, is it time to hit the panic button? Is this season a loss? Listen, the South Carolina team started 1-5 in the SEC a year ago with one game away from going to Omaha. Baseball, like you mentioned, Tom, it is a very long season, and I know it's hard for people to grasp, but it is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but, you know, like I mentioned also before we came on the show to you, Tom, this is a huge – again, every single weekend I'm going to say this is a huge series coming up this weekend because you really can't afford to put yourself, you know, any deeper in a hole necessarily. And it, the, the, thing that, the thing that was the most devastating to me about South Carolina dropping two of three to Tennessee is that the SEC schedule gets a lot tougher. I mean, besides a road trip to Alabama, which, again, I don't want to take anything away from Alabama because the SEC stacked to me one through 14 this year. But Alabama's a series where it should be manageable. You you really have to feel good about that one. I mean, these, these are the remaining SEC series for South Carolina, Tom. First, verse number 15, Auburn this weekend. That's at home at Alabama for three games, again, like I mentioned. Then you go at Florida, versus Texas A&M, at Missouri, versus Vanderbilt, versus Kentucky, and then at Mississippi State. So those are not that. I mean, <laughs> Mississippi State I, for sure. I know Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Florida are all around like the top fifteen-ish range. I think Texas A&M's in there as well. Again, I don't have the D one top twenty-five pulled up, but that is a gauntlet. 
I mean, that's – and Auburn's 15th in the country. That is a gauntlet. So, to me, that was the bigger problem with dropping that Tennessee series was, like, you had a golden opportunity to kind of not beat up on somebody you should beat, but get a series – just 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 get a series win. They're all important. All the series wins are important. So, you know, I mean, South Carolina's got to figure it out quick because, like, I, you know, I mentioned, I mean, it's – I don't think it's time to hit the panic button, but you go out this weekend and get swept at home against Auburn, I don't care that Auburn's ranked 15th. You know, when you're on your home field – you go out there and get swept this weekend, you start one and eight or two and seven, even in SEC play. I mean, it's going to be about as close to panic button as panic button can get, in my opinion. I mean, it's just, you know, you got to put up or shut up at some point. I, you know, the biggest thing that concerned me about this team coming in was pitching. You know, I thought South Carolina was able to, uh, they, they, you know, you talked about the Clemson series, Tom. I thought South Carolina was able to kind of get away with – I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but they were really able to patch it all together um, in that yeah, Clemson I mean, series. I mean, the Friday game – because the Friday game was a turn into Johnny Holstaff when Carmen Majinski got injured. You know, it went Majinski, Wesley Sweat. You know, I think Parker Coyne pitched in that one. Or, no, excuse me, Tringali pitched in that one. Brett Carey with his heroics. Saturday is a complete wash. You get beat in that one pretty bad. And then Sunday, you score so many runs that, yes, Reed Morgan threw very, very well. But, I mean, there was never a stressful pitch thrown in that game for South Carolina. So, I just think South Carolina's pitching struggles or woes, if you will, their lack of depth, all of that has really shown through. Because, again, I know the offense has not been perfect, obviously. But, you know, in the SEC, when you get in situations where you're up late in the game, you've got to be able to close the door. And I think that's something, you know, Coach Kingston has touched on and it's just something that, you know, until they can find a way – until they can find that guy at the back end of the bullpen, whether they're going to change that, hand the ball over to Brett Carey to be your closer, or, you know, if they want to stick it out with Sawyer Bridges, it's just going to be until somebody steps up in that back end role to can close the game out. You know, it's going to be a real crapshoot for Carolina, and I, I think it's going to be – it's going to be a struggle, honestly, especially if the offense – you know, we don't know the extent of the Andrew Eister injury. We'll probably know about that as soon as we get off this show here, but – if he's not able to come back, too, I mean, it's a completely different lineup, in my opinion, without without Eister in it. And so, um, you know, this pitching staff, just simply put, going to have to step up if South Carolina wants to do what it did last year and make a run to to the postseason like you were talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the pitching is obviously a big concern. You've talked about it a lot. And I think something that I kind of said at the beginning of the year was like, if this team is going to live and die by the home run, there's going to be games like a night when you really just die by the home run and you're not – you're just not hitting the ball that well, and you get beat. And I think that's kind of hurt them in a couple series. And then you have injuries to Majinski that kind of put you behind the eight ball. And then is, wasn't there another person, another pitcher that got that was supposed to be the Friday night guy and then got hurt? Well, so, uh, Carmen Majinski was the Friday night guy starting the year. He was the one broke his foot. Ridge Chat. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you're talking about, yeah, before the season. Logan the Chapman season. was hurt. Yeah, Logan Chapman and Graham Lawson were hurt before the year even started. So Yeah, yeah I mean, I kind of – Logan Chapman would have 100% at least been a weekend starter. Probably I mean, that Friday put, night guy. That puts you in the hole to start with. And that's before the season even starts. Then Majinski's out for two months or however long it is and misses a big chunk of the season. There's no telling how he's going to pitch when he comes back. And he really wasn't doing that well to start with. So, you don't really know how reliable he is. But, I mean, it, it kind of sucks. And they kind of – put themselves in the hole when you lose two series in a row like that to start off the, start off the year in the SEC. But I think if they don't – I think they got to either sweep this weekend or at least win two out of three. Because I think if you if you don't – if you don't win the series this weekend at home, and that's the second – and you got swept by Tennessee – not Tennessee, swept by Georgia two weeks yeah. ago at home, and then you're going to get beat at home again in a series. Like, 
what are you going to do when you have to go on the road again? Like, I mean, it's going to get worse, and the season and the schedule is going to get tougher because the SEC is stacked in baseball. I think at one point, like, ten teams were ranked in the top 25 or eight or something like that. Like, it's something insane, but I don't know. It's a short window. They had to figure it out, but, I mean, I believe that they can. I think you do too, obviously. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I was trying to look up the injury for uh, for Eister. I don't think Kingston said anything. I'm not 100% sure. But, anyways, yeah, I mean, it's – you need to win this series this weekend, <clears throat> excuse me, just to have something to feel good about again. I, I mean, it's – it's brutal on you just mentally going out there every single weekend. And, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. I, the best thing that could happen for Carolina this weekend is coming out and win the first two games because the last thing you want to happen is the here-we-go-again type syndrome creep in where maybe you lose Friday, win Saturday, get to Sunday, you're up late or you're tied, and you're like, oh, my God, like, is this about to happen again? I mean, obviously the worst-case scenario is you lose the first two, but – yeah, I mean, this is an important series, man, just for <clears> – it's an important series just for team morale. I mean, just keeping your guys on track and, you know, keeping everybody together, keeping everybody believing that, it, you know, you can still make a run, make the postseason. I mean, again, I know the the opponent you're taking on in Auburn is very, very talented, and, you know, they're ranked top 15 for a reason. But you got to find a way, man, especially on your home field. I mean, you've got to find a way. And I, I the people that, you know, complaining over the – over the uh, the midweek game, listen, the, the the weird midweek stuff happens. I mean, North Carolina A and T through their Sunday starter, which I'm not making an excuse. You should beat that guy either way. But if South Carolina goes out, wins two or three, or sweeps Auburn, nobody's going to give a damn about that midweek yeah. game. I think the midweek game is more so just adding salt in the wound of you know you're one and five in the SEC. I think that's why people get so upset about it. Which listen, you want to win all those. I mean, you should you should never be happy with losing. But I'm just saying that you know. Those midweek losses, I mean, I try not to take them too, too to heart because they're just such kind of wacky games and it just sort of happens. But, yeah, I mean, South Carolina's got to find a way to turn it around quick. I mean, the injuries suck. Obviously, not having guys you thought you would have sucks. But, I mean, listen, this is the this is the hand South Carolina's been dealt. And it's so funny that I say that. I feel like I sound like a broken record from football season. I just – it's crazy the injuries that this athletics department has dealt with over the past year in every sport. Same. So, I mean, whenever in doubt, just blame Dillman, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> blame – hashtag blame Dillman. We'll start hashtag blame now. every no, – I'm, I'm, I'm totally I'm totally kidding. Training staff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, anyway, so, again, South Carolina taking on Auburn in three in a three-game set at Founders Park. Obviously, we'll be covering that fully um, all weekend long. Let's move into some basketball stuff. Frank Martin had some comments today, sort of his – End of the season wrap-up, if you will. The only comment I really want to touch on, um, Tom, we had heard some rumors. We obviously had a very deep, in-depth Frank Martin discussion last week. Um, Frank Martin mentioned today, he said he says he has not been contacted by UNLV, said he's staying in Columbia. Tom, are you surprised at all, or is this what you expected to hear? I mean, I don't think he would openly come out and say that, like, yeah, UNLV hit me up. Like, obviously, I don't think that would be a smart move for him, but – I mean, I don't – I'm not saying he's a liar, but, like, I don't think those rumors just came out of nowhere. But it is what it is. Like, I'm glad he's here and I'm glad he's the coach. But I wish – I mean, maybe he's being transparent, being honest. I just – I don't know. I mean, I just don't – I don't entirely believe that. But I could be wrong, and people can blast me for it, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, definitely, I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think he'd come out and just say that. I mean, I, I believe him when he says he hasn't been contacted by UNLV, but I think the bigger thing I took away is, I mean, he definitely sounds like he wants to be at South Carolina and keep building yeah. his program and, you know, which, again, we had our, you know, I still have my opinions on Frank Martin. I'll, I'll keep having my opinions on Frank Martin, but like I said last week, I think he's a good basketball coach and he's not like a bad, bad basketball coach for South Carolina necessarily. So, I mean, you know, the more stability I think you can have in your program, the better. But, I mean, overall, I don't think the comments were very surprising at all. Um, I don't think, you know, I thought some of the comments or some of the questioning was very interesting in regards to his feelings on – because you can definitely tell that it really bothers Frank Martin. Like, you know, (laughs) listen, let's just make light of the situation. I text you today, Tom, the one guy that, listen, I've had my run-ins on social media with guys playing around with guys in the media circuits. If there's one guy that has more of a, more of a problem with the media than I do, it's Frank Martin. I mean, no doubt about it. Cause like, I mean, it has to be brutal sitting in that room with him, asking them those questions. Cause he, some of the stuff he says, I'm like, God, he is just like murdering this guy. Like he is just, just reaming this dude. But uh, it was just funny. He was asked about the whole, like, you know, can tell it bothers you that, you know, football is the prime, prime uh, the priority here. And he was like, no, 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 no. But I think it's kind of well known that, you know, Frank Martin, I think he's a little bit bothered about, you know, he's at a, I guess you could say a football school or a school or maybe even sometimes basketball comes third. So, um you know, it'll be interesting to see if the school does take any measures to promote the basketball program more. I know you and I talked, Tom, last week. And listen, I don't think South Carolina basketball doesn't get promoted. I think that's kind of silly to say that. But could it be promoted more, I guess? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it could. I mean, for sure. But, you know, it's – listen, I mean, mm-hmm. let's just be – let's be honest. It's hard to promote a program that's like you're a 500 team. I mean, yeah. that's, it's hard, I mean, like – you know what puts people in the seats? Winning. And if he was sitting here going – I mean, he's doing well in the SEC, but, like, this year, and obviously there were factors that he, out of his control that he couldn't do anything about. But, like, you recruit players that play for you and you understand what's going to – and you kind of have an expectation of what you're going to be dealing with. So, if stuff doesn't work out like you expect it to, then that's kind of on you. But I, my thing is, like, if you're mad about fan attendance, then win about ball games because that's what's going to make people come. They don't want nobody wants to go watch a losing team. Like it's just not going to happen. And yeah. even with football, I mean, you think about that. Like people are way more dedicated, way more attentive to football than basketball. It's not like a, it's not a thing against basketball. It's just how sports work. Like a lot more people watch football and want to go to football games compared to basketball. But I don't know. I think the university does a good job promoting it. I don't understand how you could say that they don't really. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like how transparent, open, and honest Frank Martin is. I, I do kind of wish he'd lay off the fans a little bit because it's like yeah, South Carolina fans have, I think, more than paid their dues for, you know, good good teams on the court, on the field, on in the arena, whatever. So to, to, to call out the fans gets a little bit old. But, I mean, you know, I mean, overall, I think uh, – you know, I mean, I'm glad that Frank Martin will be here. That's all I'll say. I'm glad Frank Martin's staying at South Carolina's head coach. You avoid the whole coaching search thing, the whole drama with that. But, again, not not surprising his comments. And, you know, it'll just be an interesting offseason to see if he can build a recruiting class that, you know, can come in, obviously replace some of the guys you lost, see if some of the guys he already has on the roster can that can develop. Because, again, we've already talked about how big of a season it's going to be next season for uh, 
for Frank Martin and company. So let's move into some football talk, Tom. Um, we had a couple articles go out on our site over the past week talking about just different position units. Just sort of want to touch on that. I thought it'd be a fun conversation to have as, again, we get closer to the spring game, which will be next weekend at Williams-Brice Stadium at noon. We will obviously be there. Um, but want to talk about this. So the articles were basically talking about which position units are the biggest strengths and weaknesses on the Gamecocks football team. I'm going to kind of list them off to you, Tom. We'll just kind of kind of debate, give our thoughts, see if we agree, disagree, whatever. So the strengths, uh, biggest strengths were offensive line, defensive line, and defensive back. So line of scrimmage and defensive back. And then weaknesses, running back, wide receiver, and linebacker. So we'll start with the strengths, Tom. Again, the line of scrimmage on both sides and defensive back. Um, agree, disagree, would you add some, take away? Like, what, what are your thoughts there? Uh, I agree with the offensive line and defensive back being a strength. I think almost everyone considered that a strength of the football team. Defensive line, I don't really – I don't want to say I don't agree with. I just don't know what the production is going to be next year from them. I, I don't – I just think they're going to be an, an, a slightly above average group, so I wouldn't really consider them a strength, but I wouldn't probably consider them a weakness either. I mean, that's as – far as I could go to disagree really I mean I think it's an unproven group compared to I think similar to offensive line it's unproven but I know how good of a coach coach Wolford is like that's not a concern to me yeah I mean like I think you were talking about before the show even started I I would definitely add the quarterback position to the strengths as far as position Uh, concern just because I mean listen you have a senior when anytime you have a senior coming back and he's backed up by a former Mr. Football and to carry on Joyner, who's a dual threat type player. And then behind him is Ryan Holinsky, who is a one of the best in the country, blue chip prospect quarterback out of the state of California. Like that, that's a pretty solid quarterback room. And I don't want to forget Jay Yurick either, who's a and solid Jay back. Jay a good player too. Right. So I mean, I'd say the quarterback room def- I would definitely have that in the strengths. I agree with you though, the uh, offensive line. Um, I-, I could definitely see defensive line just because you know, I mean, it's going to depend a lot on the newer additions. I mean, I, yeah. think that's, I think that's assuming that a guy like Zach Pickens makes a big impact early. A guy like Joseph Anderson's able to make a big impact early. Yeah. Guys like that. Rodriguez but I mean, Finn. Yeah, Rodriguez Finn. I mean, I, but I could definitely see where he's coming from in regards to the defensive line being a, uh, you know, a strength for this South Carolina team. So, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I don't hate that one. And defensive back, obviously. Yeah. Isn't it funny? I, I'm pretty sure last year we were talking about this being, like, one of the biggest question marks on the team. And now we're talking about it being a strength. I, I think just because the emergence of those young guys and guys who were forced into action due to injury. I mean, sh- shoot, you think of, you know, J.C. Horn, McQuamu, R.J. Roderick. You're now, you're now adding Jamel Cook in the mix. I mean, Jamias Williams will be back. JT eBay's um, back. eBay, and then you add in the new guys, too. I mean, the, uh, the Cam, Cam Smiths, Smith. the, the Johnny Dixons, the, the, you know, the Jamie Robinsons. I mean, there's going to be a lot of talent. If nothing else, dude, the athleticism of the secondary in 2019 is going to be insane. So oh, yeah. It's going to be – and, I mean, think about it. You're going to have two guys who are 6'4 in the defensive backfield and McQuamu and Jamel Cook. I mean, that's – going to be crazy, bro. That's insane. That, that's just flat-out insane. So, can definitely see that. All right, let's move to the weaknesses real quick. Um, he had, again, running back, wide receiver, and linebacker. I know one of those that I think is really uh, very interesting to include in that list. Tom, what's, what's your take on the uh, his weaknesses that you list for the position units? Uh, running back and linebacker, I, I agree with his weaknesses compared to the, the strengths of the team. 
I mean, I don't think they're going to be bad, but I don't think they're going to be that good either. They're what I would consider probably just average. But wide receiver is really the one position group I would just disagree with. I think it's a strength of the team. I think that Brian Edwards is posed to have a big-time season. I think that Shaw Smith and Ortrey Smith are going to have very good seasons too. Then you have like Randrikas Davis, the Chavis Dawkins, the Josh fans of the world, and then you're going to have – Who's the like? There's another receiver that's coming in. Xavier Leggett's a guy that I'm kind of excited to see play and see what he can do. I definitely think he has a chance to be in the rotation, but mm. I wouldn't consider the wide receiver a group a weakness. I mean, if you want to compare them to last year with Debo Samuel and not having him now, like sure they're not as good, but that would be like saying the linebacker. I mean, it's the same argument for losing like Sky Moore at linebacker. Like, you're, of course you're not going to replace that. Yeah, no, that that was definitely the one where I, it kind of stood out to me. Um, you know, if you want to say there's question marks, I guess, sure, because Debo's gone. But, I mean, you know, you think of who you have coming back. Brian Edwards, again, you are talking about. Brian Edwards, Shy Smith, Josh Van, um, or Trey Smith, if he can get his knee back healthy, will be a huge, huge, huge addition. So, yeah, now you're, you're sitting, to me, pretty pretty at the wide receiver position. Again, I've talked about one of my biggest questions going into season is, like, just who replaces the playmaking ability of Debo Samuel. So, you know, I, I I understand that question 110% because I think that's going to be – it's just going to be something South Carolina is going to have to have answered. I mean, all those plays Debo made, they're going to have to go somewhere. So, or somebody's going to have to make them. So, um, definitely agree with running back and linebacker. I mean, I think those are just two you have to list. I mean, especially with the way the linebackers looked last season and then running back just, you know, having a bunch of guys but not really having a dude, not knowing who your, who your yeah. dude is. You know what I mean? I think that's the biggest question mark with that. Um, overall, I mean, you know, besides that, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, maybe if you, this is getting kind of particular, maybe like kickoff returners though, on a specialist, um, as far as not the kickers particularly, but the returners. Cause I mean, I think just losing Debo Samuel to me, one of the bigger questions is like, who's going to be that guy to make yeah. special teams. I mean, hopefully Levante yeah. Valentine, cause he's a straight on speed right. guy. Like give him a gap and he's going to hit it. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting. I'm, I'm sure they'll be able to find someone, but, I mean, that's not something that I think a lot of teams would look at and say, oh, that's a huge area for us. But, I mean, I think South Carolina fans can attest, you know, you've seen how much of a difference special teams can make in a game, you know, being able to well, take one to the house and all that. Especially with, like, kickoff return. Like, I don't think it's that big of a weakness, but when you have it as a strength with a guy like Debo or Ferrer. It Cooper, really stands out, else, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, it, it, it just makes all the difference in the world. I mean, you think about, like, you know, think of Ole Miss when you could start the game with a, with a, with a kickoff return for a touchdown. Like, that's – Yeah, I mean, it, it it's, makes it's you the difference. It's the difference. Your side. Yeah, I mean, it's the difference. So, for sure. All right. Good stuff. So, let's move into – we have some news and notes real quick. I have to mention Carolina Golf. If you, got, if you guys didn't know, we're a golf podcast now. Uh, Billy Mack and the boys win the Hootie at Bulls Bay Intercollegiate Championship. Um, South Carolina golf crushing right now. I mean, they won by seven shots. They're ranked 20th in the country. I'm sure they'll move up after this, but good stuff. Good stuff for Billy Mack and the boys getting it done for sure. Um, all right, cool. So let's move into some listener questions. We've got a ton of these. Um, let me get to it in just a second. All right. Saltwater Swag asks, how are there holes in our offense and defense when it's Muschamp's fourth year? Tom, I'll let you answer that. Well, when you inherit the shit show that he did, you kind of have to give him a break. I think it's kind of like the same thing with Frank Martin. I would kind of agree. I would kind of argue that Frank and Will inherited the same level of shittiness of a program. I, uh, Frank, I mean, Will a little less. 
But, I mean, this program is his now. What they do is, you know, completely on him. All these players are his. I don't think you can say that any of them are Spurrier cast-offs or kids that just went through Spurrier than Trezis the Muschamp. I think this is completely his team. But, big but here, this schedule this year is murderer's row. I don't think that anyone would argue against that. And, yeah, I mean, there are holes in the team, but who would expect there not to be? I mean, there's holes on every team, but obviously there's some glaring ones on South Carolina. But I think they're being addressed, and I think – if the next year is probably the year that I would judge Muschamp the most on, not this year, the way I see it. The 2020 season, you're saying? Yeah, 2020 right. season would be the year that I would judge Muschamp the most on. No, I mean, you're definitely right about the schedule, though. I mean, it's – it's Brutal. you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of wait and see with it because all we've heard about all offseason, the schedule, the schedule, the schedule, the schedule. We're just assuming that everybody's going to be really, really good. And, listen, they might all be. There, there's a probably They probably will be, but it's just like, to me, I feel like, all the talk of the schedule, like, because things never go the way you expect them to go, right? So, I, I just, I'm like, one of the teams we're talking about that's, like, on this daunting schedule, like, has to disappoint. Like, I, there's no way these teams are all going to be that good. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the Bama, Georgia's, Clemson's. I'm talking about, like, the, the like, more so, like, the A&M's and the Florida's, like. Kentucky. Yeah, well, I, I think, I think Kentucky should suck. But, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I'm just in kind of wait and see mode. Again, the schedule's daunting looking at it from like the outside, but I mean, what are the odds that every single team on the South Carolina schedule is just ridiculous? And like I said, they might be, who knows, but I'm, I'm kind of in wait and see again. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just more so me being hopeful. <laughs> maybe not to miss like, God, I hope a couple of teams suck on the schedule. Actually, just surprise us. Have a nice surprise. Um, nice. Connor Shaw three with a K. So that, that's an interesting username. Okay. Connor Shaw, Connor Shaw right. just sent a question to our yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd be really confused. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what do you want to ask us, Connor? We, we got you. Um, you think South Carolina basketball will be good next year? Um, too early to tell, but I think there's definitely going to be some struggles without Chris Silva. No yeah. I think they'll be better than this year record-wise, but I think they could also be – I think they'll be better next year record-wise, but I think they could be a little bit of a worse team because of losing Chris Silva. Right. No doubt. No doubt. Um, let's see. Emmy Davis Holtz. Is Jake Bentley going to be the only quarterback we use? Um, I mean, I think he'll start. I don't think he's the only quarterback that's going to play. That's what you mean. So I think he'll start, but I think others will play. No doubt. Especially, especially with the red shirt rule. I mean, I'll be, I, I am very curious how long it takes before we see Ryan Helensky in game action. I'm very curious. I, and that's, I guess, We'd be assuming he wins the QB, the the number two spot, right? I mean, that's are we assuming? We obviously don't know. We're gonna watch the spring game next week, which I think will tell us a lot. But are we assuming that Ryan Holinsky is gonna win the QB two role at this point? Like we're pretty, I, we're pretty I think so. in that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's almost like a guarantee at this point. But yeah. there's no telling, man. Yeah, who knows? But yes, I think Jake Bentley is obviously the main quarterback. He'll play 95 percent of the time. I think you'll see Joiner Holinsky at some point though. Um. Let's see. Stokes underscore Huey. Will South Carolina make a regional in baseball? Right now, I'm still going to say yes. I think they will. I don't think they will host. I thought they had a chance to host, um, but I don't think they'll host at this point, obviously, because of just everything that has happened. Um, let's see. Uh, underscore M. Walters underscore. Over un- and we were literally just talking about this, Tom. Over under two and a half games that Joyner and Helinski will play in. Uh, I'll go over. Yeah. I don't know. You know what, though? You say over, but I don't know. Just because of 
I mean, shoot, last year, what did Joyner play in one game? Played Literally against. played in one, and we were at the game. Yeah, but I think the difference between last year and this year is there's no Michael Skarnecchia sitting between the second and third. There's no redshirt senior who deserves to play ahead yeah. of them. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, but even Skarnecchia didn't really play. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, they're very hesitant. To I think that's a good – that over-under number is solid. I mean, two and a half, that's I – w- I'd be tempted to say under, honestly. I, I really would. I, I mean, I just – because I-, I think Will Muschamp is pretty much ride or die with Jake Bentley. Is. Unless Jake Bentley gets hurt, I mean, I think he's pretty much ride or die with him at this point. I mean, you know, I don't know. That's interesting. That's, that's a good number there. Um, JDL1980, what are your expectations now – for the baseball team after losing two straight series. Um, I mean, I'm still expecting them to make the postseason, you know, make a regional. Not much has changed. I still, you know, have faith they'll get it figured out. But, uh, you know, going to have to do it in a hurry for sure because obviously the SEC schedule again doesn't stop. Um, here's an interesting question. Gamecock coverage asks, will Bobby Bentley find success as tight ends coach? Uh. I'll say, yeah. I mean, I don't feel like tight ends is a very, like, difficult position to coach. I feel like it's easier than running back, and it's a lot less pressure. But, I mean, I think he has a good – I think he has a better um, – I think he has better players to coach than he did when he first inherited the running backs group, if that makes sense. Well, I can tell you this. You know how Bobby Bentley can be successful as a tight ends coach? Put Keel Pollard on the field and just get out of the way. Yeah, let, let us get go play. Let Keel Pollard go play football. That, that's recruit. Really- go get me some five stars from Tennessee, and I'll just forgive him <laughs> for your coaching. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, just, just, I mean, I, I don't know, like how, like I, I don't know how. That's the funny thing too, with like, you judge head coaches a certain way, but like when you're an assistant, it's like, oh, that guy was a failure. That 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 position coach. It's like, I mean, how often do you say that? Besides. I think Bobby Bentley even got more attention because Jake Bentley's the quarterback. But, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to be able to judge tight ends. It's like, oh, man, he failed as a tight ends coach. It's like, I mean, I, unless our tight ends are just complete ass. Like, I, I don't yeah. know what I'm going to be going to be saying. Or, like, if the tight ends are really good, I'm not going to be like, because Bobby Bentley's coached a man. <laughs> yeah, that I think tight ends kind of a weird position. Like, yeah, I don't think that's something you always – attribute the coaches to like their success and I don't but I don't think in South Carolina's offense either especially since there's not like a Hayden Hurst-esque figure that you're going to be like uber dependent on the tight ends and how they play like I don't think that's the thing that's going to be happening this year yeah no no doubt no doubt um okay by Brantley Strickland really really good friend of our show appreciate you Brantley for submitting some questions he actually got three questions for us which is very good Jeez. Um, by Brantley Strickland, first one, will the baseball team finish above 500 in SEC play? So this is a question I posed on our Twitter account. I wish I had the poll pulled up right now. I can try to go back to the Twitter feed real quick. But, uh, Tom, while I'm looking for this, if you had to guess, flip a coin, do you think South Carolina finishes over 500 in SEC play, yes or no? I say yes by, like, two games, maybe. Let's see. Okay, so I ran the poll, 417 votes uh, 53% said yes, 47% said no. So pretty damn close. Yeah. Um, man, and it's tough too because one in five. I don't. I, mm, mm, mm. I I'm gonna say yes, but just barely. I, I mean, yeah. it, it's so hard to say yes too because it's like 
I think either this season, man, it's either it's going to go one or two ways. Either South Carolina is going to figure out the pitching really, really quick and have a bounce back kind of like last year, or it's going to continue to be very bad and it's going to like stay bad. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be a bad season because you just you just can't win in the SEC with no pitching. You just can't. You can't do it. Like you just it's going to be a struggle every single weekend to win with no pitching. So or to win with you know having to go with different guys maybe aren't comfortable in those roles. So um, I'll say yes for now, but th- this Auburn series to me is going to tell us a lot. If South Carolina again goes out there and, you know, if they get swept at home again, like I said, it's, you can almost pretty much forget about it. Um, by Brantley Strickland again, obviously uh, Jake Bentley overvalued by outsiders or undervalued by fans. That's an interesting question. Uh, I feel like undervalued by fans I feel like yeah, I feel like under he say undervalued by fans and overvalued by outsiders. By, by like outsiders, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's accurate. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so funny because if Jake Bentley came around before 2010, I think he'd be being celebrated as like one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Like, bro, truly, give him the offense Connor Shaw had, and he's like the greatest quarterback to ever come to South Carolina. Well, no, no, I'm just saying it from the sense of like South Carolina hadn't had that success yet. So, I mean, I, I think one of the biggest, you know. We talk about all the time, like on social media and just South Carolina fans in general, how like they're they're at times like South Carolina fans, the way they act after losses, and it can get very toxic on social media. Like, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think one of the reasons because South Carolina had that huge jolt of success from you know 2009 or so to 2013, 14, if you like, in all sports. So like now it's like, you know, I, I mean. Listen, if Jake Bentley's the quarterback in the early 2000s where South Carolina hasn't – or the mid-2000s even, where South Carolina ha- – I mean, listen, Steve Tannehill is, is celebrated at South Carolina. And, I mean, did he, he won a bowl game. He won the first bowl game in South Carolina history. But, I mean, he was a quarterback of six and six teams. Like, he w- they never won anything, really. So, I mean, <clears throat> if Jake Bentley is, like, on those teams and doing what he's doing now, I mean, he's celebrated as, like, one of the best players in program history. But because of – yeah, there are there are expectations there, which is a really good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing that there are high expectations, but I just think there are such expectations. Fans wanting to get back to, um, you know, that 11 win plateau, get back to that national prominence so badly that like his career is held to a much much more harsh standard. And I, obviously, it hurts that he has not beaten Clemson or Georgia. I mean that that's just a that's just a fact. So I, listen, I'm not trying to have like some court case defending Jake Bentley but I, I'm just saying that is he undervalued by fans like it could be a lot worse I, I, I'm willing to admit that I'm not saying he's some Heisman contender caliber player but it could be a lot worse let's put it that way so that, that's all I'm saying um all right Brantley Strickland's last question this is a good one too who is RB1 coming out of spring practice Tom who, who do you think um there's tough, so many right? different options. I would hope to say I for me I would want it to be Kevin Harris just because I want to see what he's going to do as the running back first running back and then if not him I would just assume Mon Denson because he's the most consistent and I think that's who's going to get played the most to be honest. Yeah, I mean I don't know. For some reason I just want to default to Rico Dowdle just because he's been that guy. I, I don't know. I mean, I that's a great question. I mean, I'll tell you this: if if Kevin Harris or Deshaun Fenwick are that number one guy, if, if that just somehow happens, really even – really if anyone but Rico Dowdle is not that number one guy, like, do you think it speaks more to 
the guy who won the job or speaks more to Rico Dowdle, like not being the dude that we thought he was after his freshman year? If he doesn't win the job? Like if Rico Dowdle's the third string running back coming out of spring and it's like Kevin Harris, Mondence, and Rico Dowdle. Like, uh, does, that, does that speak more to like, wow, Kevin Harris is a stud? Or it's like, wow, Rico Dowdle really sucks. I don't think, okay, my take on it would be that Kevin Harris is probably, if it's Kevin Harris and he's a starter ever, but of Vermont and Rico, I would say it would have to be that Kevin's probably just that damn good. And a part of it will be that Rico has regressed since his freshman year. I don't think he sucks, but I just don't think he's, I don't think he's performed up to the expectations that came from his freshman season. It's so weird, too. Like, it's just so, like, he was such a stud. Yeah. Rico Dowdle was such a stud, man. I mean, what, he ran for, like, 700 yards and, like... That jig move against Tennessee still gives me nightmares. Yeah. He ran for, like, seven, almost a 1,000 in, like, seven games. I mean, yeah, God, like, it's just, like, where did that Rico Dowdle go? Like, where where is that guy? But, yeah, I mean, overall, for me, if I had to guess RB1 right now, I'd say Rico Dowdle just because of he's the known guy. I mean, maybe Mon Denson, but... Yeah, I'd say Rico. I mean, if they name an RB1, which I, I guess – do they put out a depth chart after spring practice or no? That They keep that in-house. Uh, I would think not. I think they put one out before spring practice. Right. But I'm no, assuming I it's – I think they almost have to. I'm assuming it's full of, like, Rico Dowdle or yeah, it's Mon Denton yeah. or – Well, I'd almost you know, expect think... it to be like that the first game of the season, honestly. Yeah. I just – I don't I'll, know. I mean, you, you know, Muschamp's an open book with that stuff, right? He's going to tell us exactly what we want to know. Hey, who's starting? Who's the – no, he, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I mean, that's definitely a huge position battle that uh, I know everybody's watching. So, um, but, yeah, that's going to pretty much do it for us. Obviously, kind of a light show, but I, we'll have a very, very packed show next week as we get ready for, again, the spring game, the Garnet and Black spring game. Um, Tom finally getting his uh, his dose, real dose of football as we get to get back into Williams Bryce Stadium. One time before we take a break off for the uh, well, not us, but till the team breaks for I guess you could say summer, and then we'll creep closer and closer to the season. But uh, we've got a fantastic interview, I, and I mean a fantastic interview, guys. We've done some good interviews. This is definitely up there with some of the all time interviews that we've done. Elliot Fry joins the show. Um, all-time points leader. Obviously, he's with the Orlando Apollos right now down there with Steve Spurrier. 12-12 uh, and 12 on the season, Tom. I don't know if I if you knew that, but he's perfect on the season. He's having a fantastic year. Um, the Orlando Apollos are really, really good. We, we had some legendary conversation. I mean, his South Carolina career, professional career, his career right now with the Apollos, definitely some great Steve Spurrier conversation. Please be sure to stay tuned for that. And it's all brought to you by our friends over at MyBookie. MyBookie. The best gambling site by far. If you don't know about them by now, I, I really don't know what planet you're living on because we are right in the middle of March Madness. Um, all the March Madness games going on. Things are getting crazy. Um, and if, if you want to gamble on it, there's only one place to do it. And that's mybookie.ag. You go there right now, use our promo code SPURSUP. They're going to give you a 50% deposit bonus. That means if you put in, say, $500, say you want to gamble with $500 on March Madness or whatever you want to gamble on, they're going to give you. They're going to match that up to fifty percent. So they're going to give you an additional two hundred and fifty dollars to play with. Tom, if you had two hundred fifty free dollars to play with, what do you think you'd bet on right now? Are you taking Duke to win the whole thing right now? Is that is that what uh, your, your bracket says? Yeah, my bracket says Duke to win the whole thing. But if I had to bet like a, a two extra two fifty, I would just bet the field. Like if it was like Duke versus the field, and the field was the underdog somehow, I would bet that. 
Yeah, and the best part about that 250, Tom, is that, you know what, if you lose it, it's a free play anyways. It doesn't even go against your account. That's literally what they're doing. I don't know how my bookie's in business right now doing that again. Best online gambling site by far. If you have any questions for them, you can reach them on social media. They will literally answer you within seconds. If you want to tweet at them, send them a direct message. The most responsive online or online gambling site. They have the best lines, the easiest payouts, simply the best. So, again, go to mybookie.ag. Use that promo code Spurs up for your 50% deposit bonus. Uh, and remember with MyBookie, it's not who you're gambling on, it's who you're gambling with. Again, that's MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks kicker Elliot Fry. All right, joining me today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2013 to 2016. He's the Gamecocks all-time leading scorer with 359 points to his credit. Also, having a very successful season with the Orlando Apollos of the AAF. He's a perfect 12 for 12 on field goals for those guys. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show former Gamecocks kicker Elliot Fry. Elliot, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's jump right into it. Obviously, um, you're from you played your high school ball in Carrollton, Texas, um, obviously came to South Carolina as a walk on just kind of talk about, you know, what led you to South Carolina overall? What made you want to become a Gamecock? Yeah, well, um, you know, in high school, I started kicking my sophomore year. Um, basically, you know, played soccer growing up, kind of like every kicker's story and then, you know, ended up finding their way to the football field. Um, but, you know, started, started going to some kicking camps and stuff to, to be ranked and, you know, ended up, I think when I came out of high school, I was like the, uh, you know, like the sixth or seventh ranked kicker in the nation, but I really didn't have any scholarships. I had a scholarship to punt at Louisiana tech. Um, and that was really it. Everything else was kind of a walk on here, a preferred walk on there. Um, and, and, you know, my mindset was always, you know, I didn't want to kick at a small school. I didn't want to do anything like that. You know, I wanted to go have a good experience. And if I was going to play football, it was going to be, in, in my opinion, on the biggest stage um, that I could, which, you know, at the time, and I, you know, I think still is, is the SEC. Um, so, you know, I ended up getting a call from the special teams coach at the time, um, Coach Joe Robinson. Um, you know, he, he asked me to come down for a visit and um, offered me a preferred walk-on, and, uh, you know, I loved it. I, I wanted to be in the south, uh, you know, where it's warm, but, um, you know, wanted to be, you know, a part of a, a big football school at the time, and, um, you know, I thought the SEC was, was the perfect place to play. Absolutely. So before we get in your actual playing career, one thing I want to touch on, I saw a lot of this, obviously you've talked about this a lot um, in different documentaries, interviews, stuff like that, but you were, when you were younger, diagnosed with type one diabetes when you're seven years old. Um, just kind of talk about the impact that's that, that has had on your life. Cause I know that's something that's really shaped you. And I know something that you're, uh, you're very active with to this day, as far as, you know, making awareness for that stuff like that. Just kind of talk about that as a whole. Yeah, so I I was diagnosed when I was seven years old. Um, I was actually playing hockey and came off the uh, the rink and collapsed. And, uh, you know, I ended up going to the hospital, find out I had diabetes. Um, but, you know, really growing up with it, it it's, it's pretty hard as a kid, um, you know, when you're seven. And you just have to grow up a lot faster and, and kind of are a whole lot of responsibilities kind of dumped on your shoulders, you know, and, and for your own health, you know, it's, while all your kids are running or all your friends are running around like you know eating 
donuts and stuff you know it's you, you can eat whatever you want but you have to you know at seven I was having to like count carbs and like convert that to an insulin ratio to know how much insulin to give myself um so at seven you know that's pretty hard to do and, and you definitely um it, it's just challenging but I, I think you know once I got to college um you know it was just you know kind of one of those things in life that you know everybody has their their challenges and you know wasn't really too concerned with it it was just kind of you know background noise and it was something I dealt with but um you know my freshman year I started having some success and uh, I think one of the newspapers or something in South Carolina um released a story about you know me having diabetes and I immediately started getting you know letters and um a bunch of you know people messaging me on social media you know a lot of parents saying that um you know story was you know inspirational to them and they hadn't you know, let their kids play whatever sport it was because they were diabetic and they were worried about all these different things. And, um, you know, so freshman year, I kind of realized I had a platform, um, you know, to, to just at least talk to kids and, and families and help them out and, and let them know that, you know, my message was always, as, as long as you take care of it, it doesn't have to affect you in a negative way. You know, you can do anything you want or achieve any goal, whatever it is, as long as you take care of it. And that was kind of my, uh, you know, big message with JDRF um, and, and everybody out there when I was doing that. But no, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely shaped who I am today, but um, you know, really, really now it's just kind of maintaining it. You know, I don't, I don't think about it too much um, as far as, as far as the health of it. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. No, good stuff for sure. So getting into your playing career again, you go to South Carolina 2013, you know, you're a true freshman where you really went from, you know, an unknown walk-on guy, nobody ever heard of you, to the SEC All-Freshman team. I mean, you led the team with 99 points, um, connecting on 15 to 18 field goals, 54 or 55 extra points. I think you were the first freshman kicker to start for South Carolina in a season opener since Courtney Levitt in 1996. But just talk about kind of you get on campus. Again, you're an unknown, you're a walk-on guy. Um, you know, what was that like coming into South Carolina? I mean, did you expect, I'm sure as a competitor you did, but did you expect when you got on campus, like, hey, I'm going to take the starting kicking job or kind of what was that battle like leading into the uh, the first game against North Carolina? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, in any in any situation when you come in, obviously I thought that I had the ability to start. Um, and, you know, another part of me going to South Carolina was, there are the, the previous starter had graduated. So there wasn't, um, you know, a, a guy who had started with field goals there already. Right. So it was an open race, which was, you know, I think a lot of kids going into college as a kicker might not realize how big of a difference that makes, you know, if you had a freshman or sophomore who, you know, started the year before and had even a little bit of success, that, that job is his. You're not, you're, you're probably not going to take that. Um, so that was, that was a thing for me that I was, you know, I came into camp um, third on the depth chart. We had um, one older guy who had done some kickoffs in games um, who was number one. And then we had a, um, another guy who was on scholarship and was supposed to be kind of the, he was supposed to be the kicker in, in everyone else's eyes. Um, and he was second string on scholarship and he was a redshirt freshman. Um, and I just, you know, coming in, I just worked really hard that summer and, you know, I knew that, you know, I had, you know, I thought I could play at the level and, and I, you know, I wasn't sure, but, <clears throat> you know, going through camp, you know, with kickers, you only get so many opportunities to make a, 
make an impact on the coaches, right? You know, you get maybe two or three field goals a day. So it, it's really hard to, to go out there, especially, you know, being a second or third string and, and prove that you're better than someone just because there's, there's a limited amount of reps. Um, so, you know, I ended up just, just doing really well in camp. And I, I think I actually, funny story, I, I actually ended up, I remember calling my mom like two weeks before the season opener and was, you know, you know, upset and saying, you know, I think I'm going to have to redshirt this year. I'm still running with the threes. And then the next day, um, the special teams coach told me to go with the ones. And at that time, I still thought it was kind of like, you know, trying to get a message across to the guy who was the current number one at the time, you know, just kind of try to scare him and see how he reacts. But um, kind of just ran with it. I remember that that week after that I ran with the ones I didn't miss that week. And we're asking the special teams coach, you know, are you, are you doing this to get a rise out of the other guys and see how they react? Or, you know, am I going to be playing in the game this, this week? And he said, no, you're, you're the guy. And I kind of set in for me there, but um, yeah, that, that's kind of how, that's kind of how everything happened. And then, um, you know, went to the first game and, and just started, started kicking them. Absolutely. So you talked about a lot, your relationship with your, uh, your special teams coach, obviously, but you played for one of the most legendary head coaches of all time, obviously a hall of famer and Steve Spurrier. Um, I, I'm curious to kind of get your take because, you know, I'm not sure. I, I've just never heard, I guess, what that type of relationship Steve Spurrier has. You know, we've had offensive guys, defensive guys on the podcast. They've talked about their relationships with coach Spurrier, but what type of relationship did you have being a special teams guy with uh, the old ball coach? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely different for every every position group. For for some reason, I don't know. And, and anybody that knows Coach Spurrier knows, you know, he's just he's really quirky. Um, you know, when you when you talk to him, when you interact with him, I mean, it's it's very random. But like certain things stick out to him, and um, for whatever reason, my name always latched on to him. Like he always, you know, coming in as a especially as a freshman kicker, um, you know, he, it, he takes a while to learn guys' names. And I remember, I still remember well, the first time I talked to him, he just, he goes, you know, he's like, Elliot, yep, Elliot. And he just kind of repeated it. But, um, you know, he ended up, for, for whatever reason, remembering me. Um, you know, I know, and I, I've always had a really good relationship with him. And I think um, part of that relationship is that, you know, kicking wise, I think he, he, he probably remembers me a lot better than I actually was percentage wise. Like if you ask him, he's like, I don't remember Elliot missing a field goal at all at South Carolina. <laughs> and I think, which obviously isn't true, you know, I missed, you know, a bunch of field goals, um, you know, over four years, but you know, to him, the most important thing is winning. And then I had, you know, traditionally a really good record in the fourth quarter and I never really lost him a game with a kick. And I think that's kind of what, he kind of latched on to that and always, you know, I know he said a bunch of things, the media, um, you know, about, about me as a kicker. And I think he just really latched onto that idea. And I it was, you know, it was never in his eyes. He never saw it as like Elliot lost, never lost me a game. So I think, I think that's kind of, um, you know, why we, we had a, a pretty good relationship, but no, he, he was awesome. I, I, I loved him in, in college, love him now. Um, obviously he's done, you know, a ton for me and, um, again, you know, we have a good relationship to see him every day. And, um, you know, he's always, you know, telling me his little quips and, and quirky little <laughs> things or gestures, you know, every day. So I, I, I get a, get a, get a big kick out of him. 
Absolutely. And I definitely want to talk about, uh, you know, obviously you're playing right now with the Apollos. Definitely want to get to that. But yeah, that 2013 season, you mentioned you didn't lose him a game. You actually won him a game, I would say, especially you were named uh, SEC Freshman of the Week in the game against Florida. You accounted for 13 of the 19 points at four field goals, including a season-long 45-yarder. I want to ask you, you know, as a true freshman, I mean, were there ever nerves for you? I mean, were you ever nervous, maybe like that first game or first couple of games or what was it just kind of business as usual once you stepped on the field? Oh, no, absolutely. I was nervous out of my mind. And, you know, I came from a school, I graduated like 50 people in my class. So I had never, never experienced, you know, an SEC atmosphere or anything. But, you know, I think it's a different kind um, of nervous when, when you're playing football. And I think it's something that I had never experienced before. But, you know, and I, I've actually talked to a bunch of kickers about this, but it it is way more nervous or nerve-wracking for people watching it on TV or watching the game live. When you when you're in this in the situation, it happens so fast, and you're just focused on on kicking that you you never think of you know all the different outcomes that could happen if you miss or if you make it. I mean, it, it happens so fast that the nervousness is really just kind of a like pure adrenaline. Um, and, and that's more or less what it was. It wasn't, you know, you don't, you never go on the field and think like, oh my gosh, if I miss this, I'm going to look like an idiot. And, you know, I'm going to be on sports center, not top 10 and you know, all this stuff. I mean, but when I go back and watch games, like I've, I've gone back and watched the Missouri game from 2013, which, you know, is one of my favorite games I've, I ever played in, but you know, I watched the fourth quarter and overtime and I mean, I'm, I, I, I get more nervous watching myself now, even though it happened six years ago, than I did when it actually happened. And I think that's a really weird thing that most people don't understand, especially with kickers, is that it's, it's just a different kind of nervous than everybody else is used to. It's more of just like a pure, pure adrenaline um, to where, you know, but, but that was more, after my freshman year was really when that all kind of settled down and it became routine. but. All through freshman year, yeah, it was it was pretty. Uh, there were there was a lot of adrenaline going. Absolutely, it's funny. I feel like we could spend almost the entire episode talking about the 2013 season, just because that was such a good yeah. year. But yeah, yeah, your freshman year. I mean, 2013, you guys. It's the last year of the 11 win season to beat Clemson for the fifth year in a row. Go to the I believe what was it, the Capital One Bowl and beat Wisconsin. Uh, Connor Shaw's last season, Jadavion Clowney. Uh, a bunch of different legends for South Carolina, obviously going out on a high note and a great year that was. Just kind of talk about your overall memories from, again, because I know you only got to spend, you know, one season with a lot of those guys. But just talk about kind of what you remember as a whole, I guess, from that 2013 season. Yeah, I mean, I, I still just remember, you know, everything, just just our team being, you know, an incredible team. You know, if, if you look at, you know, we ended up, I think, being ranked fourth in the nation. Um after after the season was over yeah highest um, finish in know, school history so. mm. yeah I mean and then that's that's insane to me you know to be a part of that but um yeah obviously and, and I played with some some really big name people you know with um you know Clowney I still remember coming in the first time in the locker room and seeing him and just <laughs> you know not even knowing what to think I, I mean how is that a human being and then and then you see him run on the field you, you know or take out of a a stance on the D line and you're just, you know, blown away. You're like, how is that possible? But, um, you know, Connor Shaw was another guy that, you know, everybody looked up to. He was an incredible leader. Um, 
just an incredible gamer. You know, he just, he never lost no matter, no matter what he did. Um, but no, I mean, it was a really good season. I, I obviously remember, I probably remember every kick I had that season. Um, just so vivid in my mind. And, um, you know, some really good games like Missouri, Florida was a really good game. Um, you know, you know, everything there, that was, that was a really special season for me. No doubt. So moving into the spring of 2014, um, you know, you had a great freshman year, but you were placed on scholarship in the spring. Um, just kind of talk about, I mean, what that meant to you. Cause I know for guys that walk on and then eventually get awarded a scholarship, you know, it's definitely a big deal. Uh, um, what did that mean to you at the time? Maybe now looking back on it. Yeah, well, I mean, it meant, I mean, that was the whole reason, you know, you do football in the first place, you know, I mean, obviously there's, you know, you know, not saying that was the only reason, you know, I love the game. I love kicking. Um, but, you know, people start playing sports at a young age, obviously for the love of it, but, you know, there's always the dream of going to college for free and going to play on scholarship and, you know, having the, you know, the, the ability to go to, to, to school for free, you know, because of your athletic ability. And I think that was, you know, huge for me. And I knew that, you know, I was fortunate enough for, for Spurrier to, to, it was to go ahead to put me on right after the season, which now that I understand it, you know, that really doesn't happen too much. I know, um, you know, other guys that usually takes a few seasons and you only end up on scholarship for one and a half, maybe two years at most. So I, I was definitely really fortunate for them to, to trust me with that. And, um, you know, kind of put me on, um, you know, right after my freshman year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it meant everything to me. I mean, that's, that's what you, that's what you strive for pretty much all in all in high school when you're playing a sport and, and wanting to do it in college is, is to, to end up getting a scholarship. No doubt. So before the interview, it's funny, I was looking at some of your accolades. Obviously, I talked about some of them already, but you were uh, 2013 SEC All-Freshman Team, uh, 2014 uh, SEC, let's see, second team All-SEC by the coaches. You know, tons of different accolades for you within South Carolina as well. And I was taking a look at your overall stats. I mean, they definitely speak for themselves. 66 for 88 on your career, 75% kicking percentage as far as field goals. And I saw this stat, 161 of 162 on extra points made. And I saw it was your freshman year, but I couldn't, for the life of me, remember what game it was, the one extra point you missed. Which game was that? And uh, I, I, how, much, how much do you kick yourself looking back that you, didn't, that you were one away from having the, uh, the perfect record there? Yeah, no, I mean, it was my I, – I still remember everything about it. Um, you know, it was the second game of my career, my first away game at, at Georgia. Um, and, you know, obviously, I will say that the, the, the snap was a little low. It kind of skipped back there. And I think that was really the first time I dealt with that in college. And, you know, I just it, – it's still from that short, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You, you got to get it up and through. Um, and I just, I just pulled it a hair. And, yeah, I know I would have I loved to have, have that one back. Um, and be able to make that and go and go perfect. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing with kicking. You always got to focus on the next one. So never, yeah. never change, uh, never change your past. Yeah, no doubt. 161 for 162 isn't too bad though, I'll say, but uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, Patrick Fish, your holder, a guy that, you know, is so funny. I think a guy that was so well known amongst Gamecock fans, obviously we saw the hilarious fish fry memes and stuff like that. I'm sure I know you guys saw that for a fact. Um, oh, yeah. But talk about just kind of your relationship with Patrick Fish. I mean, I, I remember specifically just 
being in college, what he was such a funny dude. I remember when Vine was really big, and he was just a guy that was absolutely hilarious to follow. And I think Gamecock fans definitely, uh, you know, enjoyed seeing his stuff. But just talk about kind of your relationship, you know, with Patrick Fish, because I know with you, you know, with kickers between the kickers and the holders and the long snappers, it, like it's, it's a relationship between you guys. I know. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, Fish. You know, this day is one of my, you know, really good friends. Um, you know, you know, I think as as a as a kicker and holder, you know, you, you realize pretty quickly that, you know, the holder never gets too much recognition except for in fishes, in fish's case, um, he might've been the most well-known holder on a college campus probably ever. Um, which, and, and he deserved, I'll be honest, he deserved every bit of that. He, I don't think, you know, again, most of the population doesn't realize what goes into holding and, and how much, um, really how good he was, you know, you know I never, I probably never kicked laces, you know, with him and he got everything down and perfect, even if there was a bad snap here or there. I mean, he, he got it down and we kicked it, but I think you learn pretty quickly, especially at the college level that um, as a kicker, I mean, your, your career is in that holder's hands, you know? Um, and I can give you a bunch of examples of other teams that have had really good kickers with really bad holders and their, their careers are, were not what they should have been because, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a good guy back there holding. Um, but, you know, obviously that, that relationship and spending every day in and out together and, um, you know, trusting him, you know, to hold and, and get everything, um, you know, the ball up in the right way and everything. I mean, it, it definitely, you know, made our, made our friendship strong. And, um, you know, he, he was, he was such a funny dude too. I mean, it's, it's hard not to like the guy. He was, he was a guy in the locker room who always, you know, having a great time. Um, obviously, you, you can imagine a lot of <laughs> just just doing a lot of funny stuff always. And he, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me too is coming in as a freshman is um, I definitely looked up to him, and he definitely taught me how to have a very relaxed and nonchalant attitude about everything. You know, it's I know a lot of kickers, and you know, it's not good or bad one way or the other. But there's a lot of kickers that are really serious about what they do, and um, you know, I think he kind of molded me into a, a guy who, you know, I'm just very nonchalant about everything. You know, you asked me to go kick and, and I just, I could do it with a smile on my face. I could do it while I'm laughing. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's just, it's a lot more relaxed to me. I'm not, you know, focused as much as maybe some other guys and, you know, really serious about everything. And I think, you know, that's partly why I had, you know, a lot of success in college was, was just not thinking too hard about anything. You just go in there and kick the ball and, you know, fish tell me a joke after and you, and you just roll on to the next one. So, um, yeah, no, he was awesome and, and still one of my really good friends. Absolutely. So tell us kind of like, you know, so kickers, you know, talk about the life of a college kicker, because I think it's very interesting. We've seen it, you know, after you left with Parker White, 2017, obviously, was not a great year for him. I know, I think I had heard that you maybe had consulted him and talked to him a little bit during that season. And then obviously this past season, I think, you know, Parker White sort of, if you want to call it, silenced the critics, had a great year for South Carolina, in my opinion. But yep. what, I mean, how how much, like how much of a mental game is it as far as kicking? Because I, I, when I just look at it from the outsider's perspective, I kind of almost equate it to like golf, where it's basically all mental. And it's really like you're getting your swing, your timing, and if you – you let one bad thing compound it's like you just get yourself in this rut I mean talk about kind of because you know the I can imagine you guys I mean you live and die by each made and miss kick and like you said you were lucky enough to where you know 
you had the one game winner in 2016 at Vandy, which was awesome, but you never missed a kick that is like a kick that sticks off the top of your head, right? I mean, just talk about kind of the life of a college kicker in that regard. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. It is absolutely mental. You know, the one thing I will say about Parker, and and I was – I'm really good friends with him. He – you know, I was actually – 2017, I was still at the university. I, I had to come back to finish up and graduate. You know, I had gone on try to go pro, and, and my football career was done, but I hadn't graduated yet because I had, you know, switched majors earlier on. Um, so I was actually just enrolled as a student in South Carolina in 2017, and I was just – you know, obviously, you know, the special teams, those, that's my group of friends. You know, that's, that's who you spend a lot of time with. So I was still, you know, knew Parker. He's still a good friend and knew all the guys. But, um, you know, I think what a lot of people don't realize, and, and again, it's what we just talked about is, is how lucky I was to have, um, you know, a really good holder, a really good, you know, snapper, a really good um, – you know, you know, just a, a really good unit, and, and not that Parker didn't have that, but I think what what kind of happened is after four years, where you have, you know, my 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 senior year, we had a senior holder, snapper, and kicker, and after that, you know, pretty much everybody, you know, Parker was a, a freshman; he'd never kicked in a game, or snapper had never snapped in a game, or holder had never held in a game, so you have all those different factors that, you know, when you're dealing with hundreds of a second, you know, in operation time, you know, a little switch here and there and that, and that can throw off the whole operation, you know, and, and you got to think about kicking, you're swinging at a ball before it's set. So it's like playing golf, but you know, the ball is going to be on the tee, but you're already starting your swing and you don't know exactly if it's going to be there or not. Right. You're just kind of aiming. And so all those things make a huge difference. I think, you know, with Parker, his first year, they just didn't have a lot of, um, you know, cohesiveness as a group. You had just had a lot of, a lot of guys trying to figure, figure it out. So I think that kind of is why everybody ended up thinking Parker had, um, you know, maybe not so great of a year, but, you know, he was, you know, the, the whole special teams was battling, you know, it's just like a true freshman, you know, you watch a quarterback, they're not seasoned to, deal with a bunch of different things right you know you watch Jake Bentley his freshman year or, or any quarterback you know and something maybe goes wrong you know some guy beats you know beats tackle really quick how, how do you cope with that as a true freshman versus a, a seasoned veteran right all those things kind of lead into a make or a miss so I don't think you know he was ever bad I don't think he even really had a bad year he was put in some tough situations um, you know with that and I think you know, you look at the next year and all the guys are a little bit more seasoned, um, made it a little bit easier. But I think Parker's a great kid. He's He's got a bright future ahead of him for sure. Um, but every kicking is absolutely mental. You know, it's you've got to have the mindset that you're going to make it. Um, and you've got to, I think the most important thing is have the mindset of moving on to the next kick. You know, right after that kick is over, you know, there's nothing you can do about it right when it leaves your foot. And you know, the most important thing is, is the next one, you know, you might miss, I, I, I still, and I have this story, you know, locked in my brain. I've had it forever is when I, when I played Missouri, um, the, the 2013 game, you know, the great game is I missed a 40 yarder um, early in the game and ended up, you know, having a really big one in double overtime to end up winning it for us. And, and I just remember going on my Twitter feed after and just looking at Elliot Fry sucks. He's the worst you know, bench him, all this stuff to Elliot Fry is the greatest kicker of all time. Elliot, you know, 
we love Elliot. He's the best Gamecock kicker ever. You know, and I think, you know, that, that shows it so well, you know, it's, you've got to just focus on the next one. And, and nobody ends up remembering the one that I missed in, in the, in the second quarter, just because of the last one. So it, you, know, you can, you can miss three in a game, but make that game winner. People are going to remember the game winner. So you've always got to focus on the next one. And, and the next one is always the most important one. Yeah, I'm sure you as a as a fellow kicker had to feel for the. I mean, obviously we won the game, so it's like you know in that moment who cares. But the uh, I know the Missouri kicker took an absolutely. It was I remember I remember the post game reaction. I mean, it was brutal from when I saw. It was absolutely brutal, yeah. kind of the lashing he took on social media for sure. But uh, what kind of a fun thing I wanted to ask you. You know, it's always funny to me when uh, you know kickers, punters, whatever, are put in action in the sense where they got to make a tackle. Um, I'm not, I don't mm. recall any of your kicks ever being blocked at South Carolina where you would have been in that position, but have you ever found yourself in a position, whether it be practicing a game where you were on the defensive trying to take on a guy one-on-one or have you ever laid a hit or been trucked or like, what's your, uh, have you ever been in that situation before? Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm, that was, if that's a good stat, I'm glad, I'm glad you, I'm glad. I, you I don't remember that. that. I, I can't recall that to be honest. No, I've never, I've never had a kick tipped okay. or blocked. That's one so. of my one of my that's one of the things I'm really proud about so I I I I like that stat but no I I did kickoffs my senior year um and I think I have three credited tackles two of them were kind of just like I just got ran over and the guy (laughs) went out of bounds but I'm actually playing our running back right now um on the Apollos was I in the Birmingham Bowl in 2016 I kicked off to him on the opening kickoff and it's, I still have the video on my phone, solo tackle, wrapped up his legs, one-on-one, you know, open field tackle. And I've, I've given that guy a bunch of shit about it. I, <laughs> I, I had the picture I show him. Um, no, nah, it's, it's funny, but yeah, that was, that was like my one real tackle where I like, I was like full laid out, um, you know, had a nice, nice real tackle. Um, and I, you know, ended up playing, playing this season with him. So. That, yeah, that's got to be that, fun that was, to watch in the film room the next day, I can imagine. Oh, absolutely. But then, I, you know, I also had somewhere, I think, Tennessee, when we played them 2016, I got run over. They had <laughs> they ran a, just right up the seam, and him and the lead blocker were untouched. And I was just like, you know, usually if you get trucked, it's not so bad when you're running at an angle. But I was like just head up, you know, and they were just running straight at me. And it was just a nightmare, and he just juked me, and then the guy ran over me, and then nobody touched him, and they got a touchdown in 2016. But yeah, that's a you know that's always a, a fun, fun kind of interesting moment, and you and you know you realize you you get so used to the size of everybody, um, just being around them from the locker room and everything. Even though they're way bigger, you just get used to guys being like jacked and 220. Um, but then when you see them running full speed at you it is a whole different like ball game. Like they look so much bigger, you know, on the field than when they're running at you. It's, it's wild. For sure. So uh, 2014, I know had a, had a very memorable game, the South Carolina Georgia game, which I was at, I know it was a, a deafening atmosphere, especially speaking of field goals when Georgia's field goal kicker missed the, I think it was like a 30 yard field goal, pretty short field goal, but 2013 itself yeah. had a bunch of memorable games um as far as raucous environments what's the loudest you ever remember Williams Bryce in your playing career loudest Williams Bryce that's a good good question um let me think 
I, I would say, you know, when it got pretty loud, I think was when we beat Tennessee in 2016 and we had had that weird drought where we just hadn't beat them in like three years. Mm. Uh, it got pretty loud. Then the Clemson games are always, I think the loudest, mm. but um, especially my freshman year, I remember that being deafening, um, you know, just being really loud when we beat them for the fifth time my freshman year. Yeah. For sure. So hey, I'll say on the contrary, what was the toughest place, toughest environment you had to kick in in the SEC or just really in general, not just the SEC, but in general? Yeah, I would have to as well. Toughest environment. I, I would say on the, on the, we played in some bowl, bowl games are always tough no matter where, because the weather is usually bad. And it's for a kicker, it's, you know, it's December or January and it's usually cold and windy or rainy. So I'm just going to discount those and not even put those in the mix. Um, but I would say from a kicking perspective, Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has some of the worst swirling wind I've ever seen in my life. And you go in there and, like, both flags on each upright are going different ways. And you're just like, I have no idea. I just have to kind of aim down the middle and hope this goes in. Um, and on top of that, that's a really loud stadium. and they're uh you know the worst thing about Tennessee is you know you get used to fans like like shit talking you right by the kicking net you know because like you know you're always right next to the student section and I don't know if they do that on purpose or what but you're always like five feet away from the crowd and people just it's the most annoying thing ever but I remember my freshman year I was you know five feet away from the the student section at Tennessee and they were just ripping me alive and it was like it was one of those things where I wasn't even mad because it was it was actually really funny, and they were just making fun of me, and I'm just like, yeah, that is that's actually pretty funny, <laughs> um, like that's 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 pretty good, pretty good stuff. But at the same time, I was like, you know, we're losing, and you know, it wasn't good. But but no, that that's that's a that's a pretty tough place to kick. I thought. For sure. So 2015, I want to jump to there, was obviously a very interesting year for you guys. Obviously didn't turn out the way you all would have liked. Um, but we've had a different, couple different guys on, on the show that have given their sort of their perspective of the events of Steve Spurrier obviously resigning from South Carolina. I think it's a very interesting situation that – or, you know, a very interesting predicament you're in, whereas you're playing for Steve Spurrier right now with the Apollos. So I'm sure – I don't know if you guys have had these conversations, but obviously you have a very good relationship with Coach Spurrier. But – just from your recollection, I mean, what do you remember from that entire sequence of events? I mean, did it shock you? Just what was that like? Yeah, I think it definitely was a shock. Um, you know, there were like whisperings about, you know, like, oh, is coach going to leave after the year? Um, you know, I don't think anybody before he told us had thought that it was going to happen um, in the middle of the year. I think that, that definitely um, was a shock to some people. Or, I mean, all of us. It was, it was a shock to all of us. Um, you know, we knew things were, were getting bad. Um, you know, in my opinion, I think he kind of lost the locker room. Um, you know, I think a, as a coach, you have to have that, like, genuine sense of, like, fear from the players to where, you know, and, and not in a bad way, but, like, to where you know, like, if I mess up or I do something, I'm going to be held accountable. There's going to be punishment. There's going to be – you know, whatever. And I think, you know, as an older coach, I think it's hard to keep that, that fear from guys, you know, because 
you just don't have the energy anymore. You know, it's hard for a 70 year old to go in there and, and yell at a guy or, or, you know, jump a guy's ass, you know, it, it's just, it's hard to, hard to do. And I think a lot of people just weren't, I don't know if scared is the right word, but, but weren't scared enough of him, you know, to where, you know, there was just kind of that, that lull where everybody kind of did whatever they wanted. And, and I don't think a lot of guys were held accountable. And it was, if you were a starter, you were going to play, you could, you know, maybe you could skip a workout and it wouldn't be that big of a deal or whatever. So I think that kind of contributed a little bit to it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody really knew, um, you know, that it would happen in the middle of the season. How, I guess, how shocking was it, you know, going from, I mean, your freshman year was 2013 having all the success. And I, I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm, I would assume the players felt this way, but I know from the fans' perspective, you know, after a certain point, you know, going to 2013, rolling into 2014, South Carolina's a top 10 team. I mean, I remember thinking, hey, we're just going to keep rolling. You know, Connor Shaw's gone, Clowney's gone, but hey, Dylan Thompson, what, yeah. what he's going to do. Like, you just – you almost took it for granted in a sense where it's like, hey, we're just going to keep rolling, no big deal, we'll keep winning. I mean, how much was a was it a shock to you and I guess guys on the team where it's like literally not even two full years later – you're going through a season like you went through in 2015 and Steve Spurrier's literally resigning. Yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. And it's, it's funny because I, I tell people this story a lot too, is there is a huge reason now that I do not gamble on sports. I don't do anything. If I ever, after every season, after the 2013 season, you know, you have a hundred people on, on campus, you know, if you see someone in a bar, they're like, Ellie, like how do you think we're going to be next year? And I remember after the 2013 season, I said, you know what, you know, we might go, we might go 10 and three or, or, or whatever, you know, we might, we, we might drop off a little, but we're still going to be really good. And, you know, we end up going seven and six. And then after that, I, I told every single person I talked to and, and genuinely believed it too. I said, well, there's no way we could get any worse than seven and six. I mean, we can't, I mean, we, uh, you know, and I, I mean, it just goes, I mean, I have no, I, it very, it very much humbled me to where I, I mean, I have no clue what's going to happen. Um, so it was a huge shock to me. I mean, I, I thought every year that we were just going to, like you said, just keep rolling. And you know, we have five years of beating Clemson in a row and three 11 win seasons in a row. I mean, you just, you, you do, you expect it. And, um, you know, even though we were losing guys, it's, you know, it's like Alabama, Alabama loses guys every year and, you know, they're still the best. So I think, I think we definitely all, well, at least I did. I, I thought we were just going to keep rolling. And then even we went seven and six, I, I thought, you know, that was the rebuilding year. And then the next year we were going to be good again. So come, come show, I, I have no idea what I was talking about. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know anything about sports, but uh, yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a, a big shock. No doubt. So 2016, obviously you begin the Will Muschamp era. Well, South Carolina, South Carolina begins the Will Muschamp era, but just kind of talk about what that transition was like for you. Obviously, I would say was a, you know, at this point, looking back now, hindsight 2020, but a really good hire. Obviously, I think Coach Muschamp's done a lot of good with the program, got in South Carolina really back on track, hit it hard with the recruiting trail, et cetera, et cetera. But just kind of talk about your, what you remember specifically from, you know, when Will Muschamp was hired and kind of obviously going through your senior season, just sort of what that, uh, what that year was like. Yeah, well, I, I was actually – I was really excited when we hired Muschamp. I, um, you know, I grew up a big University of Texas fan. Uh, my dad went there, and so I had watched him and the success he had had at Texas as a D coordinator. So he had always been like a coach that I watched and 
knew he had some trouble at Florida, but um, I always, I mean, he always, no matter where he went, he always had a really solid defense. And, and I, I remember thinking that. And so I was excited when he got there and, um, you know, meeting him for the first time and everything. And I, I, you know, I love coach Mushroom. I, I think he was, again, I, you know, we'll all see in 20 years, but I, I think that was one of the best decisions, you know, Ray Tanner ever made. I think coach Muschamp is, is one of the hardest workers. He's um, probably ever, you know, he was a guy where, where you, you'd drive by the stadium at like one in the morning and his car was there and he was there and you, you show up to 5am workouts and his car was there. I mean, he, he never left. And it was still, still to this day. I mean, he doesn't leave. I mean, he's, he is a grinder. And, and he, uh, you know, I think that, you know, if you need any motivation as a team, you know, you know, go look at that. When you, when you look at the coaches putting in more effort than you are, you know, that that kind of gets you, you know, gets you going, I, I think. But, you know, I think what he did, which was really important was obviously, you know, recruiting. He, he takes that really seriously, probably more seriously than he does any other part of the job. But, um, you know, like I said, with Spurrier, I think what he did was he kind of gave, gave the program that shock that it, that it needed. You know, the, this is stopping now, you know, we, we've been, you, you know, you're three and nine last year. And I remember still when he came in, um, we were, it was our first winter, like workout, um, kind of workout and everybody, you know, we were running and they were, you know, we were all dying, but, um, I remember he called it up halfway through and he just, he just lit everybody up. And he says, I, you know, I don't care who you are, what you've done here. I'm the coach now, and if, if you don't perform, if you don't try hard, you will, you know, you're going to get cut. You won't play. You know, wait till I bring my guys in here. And, and I think that's exactly what we needed. You know, I think there's just – everybody was, was lazy, and it was just, you know, the guys who had played were, you know, fine with being mediocre. And, and I, he just brought that to where everybody was scared of him, you know. And I think that was, that was one of the best things that ever happened for the team. Everybody, you know, was scared. Everybody was working harder now. And, you know, now he's bringing his guys in. And, you know, you, I, I think you can even tell just looking at, you know, if you talk to any of the players now, I think from that, that two years that we were really, you know, not great, you know, you can tell that the work ethic and the, the attitude of everybody in that building is completely different than it was, um, you know, 2014, 2015. Yeah, not not to go back to I guess to the uh, the Spurrier era really quickly, but you talked about kind of you know you felt like you guys had maybe gotten lazy. Do you think that you, could you cite the the end of the Spurrier era to maybe he got a little bit comfortable as well, like kind of like like we we're saying, almost just taking it for granted, like hey, this is going to continue just because it has. You know, we sort of built it and now just put it in cruise control and just didn't keep up the grind. I mean, would you say that contributed to sort of the the end of that era? Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, I'm not, you know, it, it's hard to see what the, the head coach is doing 24-7. You know, I know, I mean, you're just not, you're not, you're not around him as much as, you know, especially in the off season and stuff like that. I mean, you're just not around him as much. I think that Coach Spurrier has a very, um, he has a very just, just like his offense, you know, the, the fun and gun. He just has a, a very wing it mentality you know, with his coaching style, it's very, everything will work it out. I'm going to call the plays and, 
you know, we're going to win. And, and I think for a lot of the time in his career, he, I mean, he did just that, you know, he, he kind of, he just has that kind of wing it mentality, you know? And I think, um, you know, I think maybe that, you know, we, we, we maybe stopped getting some recruits and, you know, I don't know if that all falls on him, obviously, you know, he's a head coach, but, um, you know, I don't know where, you know, exactly everything fell off. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that could, that can certainly be a part of it, but you know what, I, I do think this though, you know, I, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody else in the team, but, you know, I think what he did was, you know, leaving in the middle of the year, I, I think it was the best thing he could have done, you know, and I think he realized that, um, that the program was going downhill. And I think he was smart enough to realize that he didn't have the locker room and that it was the longer he stayed, the worse it was going to get. And in a situation like, like that, when a coach is kind of coming down and, you know, he's probably going to leave at the end of the year, the, the, the other coaches are basically just clean, you know, that they, they get, they all get fired too. And so I think what was awesome was he got Sean Elliott, the opportunity to be a head coach for the last couple of games. And I think that sparked coach Elliott's coach, uh, coach Elliott's coaching career. And, you know, now he's head coach at Georgia state and doing really well. And, um, but I think, you know, I know maybe some other players were, you know, upset about it. I know fans were upset, but, you know, I never looked at it like that. You know, I, I always looked at it as, you know, honestly, I think that was the best thing for the program, you know, and to try to at least, you know, you know, again, it's kind of like a shock method, you know, you know, kind of get everybody out of that funk. And, you know, he knew that as long as he was there that last year, they were just going to, we, we were just going to keep losing. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say exactly everything in that situation, but that's, that's at least, that's at least my take on it. For sure. For sure. So moving back. Yeah. Just very, very, it's very interesting stuff, obviously, but moving back to your senior year, definitely the game I want to focus on your senior year is the first one, which was the first game of the Will Muschamp era at Vanderbilt. You obviously had the game winning field goal, a 55 yarder, um, second longest in South Carolina history, which I mean, it's a crazy stat to think of. Um, but you, and not only did you hit it, but you nailed it for the game winner to lift Carolina to a 13 to 10 win in Nashville. Um, and I remember it's funny, Special team guys, you know, a lot of times don't maybe get the credit they deserve. It's a lot more criticism than I think it is praise. But you were recognized, I think, very heavily. Obviously, that game on a Thursday night on national TV. I think you were Sports Center top ten for that for that made field goal. Just kind of talk about you know hitting that game winner and then sort of the aftermath. What you remember from that? Yeah, no, I mean it was a obviously for most, for most of the game, it wasn't, wasn't a great game. It was a, uh, it was kind of frustrating. I know as, as a South Carolina fan, you know, me watching, mm-hmm. um, you know, the game from the sideline. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was annoying. You know, it was one of those things where nothing was really clicking, but um, yeah, you know, I, you know, what most people don't realize for kickers is the game winners that are like over probably like probably in college that are over 50 yards are the absolute best case scenario because there is absolutely no pressure, right? I mean, you, you miss a 55 yarder to win the game as much as you're going to get some hate on Twitter. Everybody's like, yeah, well, I mean, it was a 55 yarder. Do we expect, you know, a kicker to, you know, we should have played better. Right. So there's really not too much pressure, but the flip side of that, (laughs) if, and if, and when you make it, you're, you know, 
it's a, a 55 yard game winner. I mean, it's a huge kick and everything like that. So um, that's kind of like the one you hope for, you know, to where it's, it's almost like you just go out and let it rip, you know, because you know that, um, you know, there's, there's really not too much pressure. Um, but no, it was, it was a good, everything, you know, perfect snap, perfect hold line did well blocking and everything. And uh, everything just kind of fell into place. And um, yeah, no, I got to do the, I remember getting to do the live interview after on ESPN. That was really cool. Um, I'd never done that before. I was kind of freaking out because I didn't, they don't want to like say anything inappropriate or, you know, <laughs> adrenaline's really high then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to say anything bad or get me in trouble. So I, I remember that, but no, it was a, it was a great game. It was really fun. Uh, obviously a, a great way to um, start off the season. No doubt. So I got to ask, you know, everything happens for a reason, I guess you could say, and, you know, you're obviously doing well with the Apollos with coach Spurrier again, which I'm going to get to in a second, but how does a guy like you with your track record not get more of a shot in the NFL, would you say? Because, I mean, it, doesn't, it didn't seem like, you know, you got really much of a shot. Maybe that's just my opinion. Yeah. But just, I guess, kind of give some insight to your, your NFL career, the short stint you had, and just kind of – because, again, I look at it, yeah. you know, you look at your collegiate stats. I mean, you have the range, you, you know, you have the leg, you have the, the pressure moments, you have really the entire pedigree. I mean, how, how do you not get more of a shot than you got in the NFL? Yeah, and I mean, I trust me, I <laughs> I still think about that, you know, every day. Um, and I I know I have a lot of people who I'm close with who ask the same question. Um, you know, what most people don't realize is is the NFL, um, in a, a big part of of why this league um, is here is is and everybody people outside the NFL don't realize this, but everybody every player and every coach knows that the NFL is for what it is for being, you know, the huge billion dollar industry and the biggest, um, you know, entity for sports in the world. It is very bad at evaluating talent. And I'm not just talking about me, like saying I should have gotten a shot, you know, besides that. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I mean, look at the best players who Tom Brady is a perfect example. The, the best quarterback to probably ever play in the NFL was a sixth round draft pick. You know, the NFL is not as good at evaluating talent, I think, as it should be. And it, and that is elevated when it comes to specialists. Um, you only have 32 teams, and there's only one kicker per team. So there's 32 spots. And kickers kick till they're 45, right? So there's not a lot of opportunity for guys to get in. Um, and the other part of it is, is there's – just like anything is there's a lot of politics and money that come into it. So you're not just battling someone mono a mono, right? If you're battling a veteran who just signed a $20 million contract as a kicker for the next five years, and you sign with that team, you're, there's a 0% chance that you're going to get that job. Right. And vice versa. If, if you end up on a team where you're competing and the guy hasn't been trusted and maybe his contract's about to run out, you have a, you might have a pretty good shot at making that. So I, I went <clears throat> just a mini camp at Tampa Bay, um, which, you know, found out later that mini camps really rookie mini camps really don't mean anything. Um, but I was actually perfect. So I did not miss while I was at Tampa, which was one thing that I, you know, really bothered me because I got cut after that weekend and never really heard anything else after that. Um, but, you know, 
the other thing you got to look at is I was in a position where they had Roberto Aguayo and Nick Folk signed. So they had drafted Roberto the year before in the second round. That's a, that's a, a spot where the GM and, you know, the front office do not want to look like idiots to move up and take a kicker in the second round and then cut him the next year. Right. They want him to work out more than anything. Right. So they still had him sign. They're not going to cut him until he really proves that he's maybe not as good as they thought he was. Then they bring in Nick Folk, who at the time is an eight or nine year veteran as the safe bet. Right. So you have those two guys, no team has probably ever brought in three kickers to training camp just because, you know, it's a numbers game. Um, you know, you have 90 guys got to trim down to 53. There's no room for, for three kickers. So, you know, I kicked really well when I was there, but kind of got the short end of the stick. And um, another thing is if you don't get any preseason film, um, it's really hard to get in in that season. So, again, a kicker goes down in week four. They're not going to take a kicker who hasn't kicked on an NFL team ever, right? They're going to go look for either someone who did really well preseason on another team um, and didn't make the cut, or they're going to look for a veteran who got cut. Um, so with all those kind of things, um, you know, a year goes by and haven't really heard anything. So you kind of find, fall off everybody's radar. Um, I, you know, but I think for kickers, it's just, there's a lot of luck involved with it and not, not to say that, you know, the guys in the NFL aren't really good. They all are. Um, but you, you just have to fall into the right, right situation for, for you to make the NFL, which is, is really frustrating as a kicker, you know, because you can have a really good season and you can do all everything. But if you, again, if, if I were to get called to Baltimore to go up against Justin Tucker, I, I could, I could make every single kick in training camp and beat him out by, you know, whatever. And he could do really bad. They're still going to take Justin Tucker over me, right. Just because of his status and him being probably the best kicker in the league. So there's a lot more that goes into it, but, um, you know, hopefully, you know, that's what this kind of new league with the AAF is for is, is to kind of get guys who, you know, kind of got the short end of the stick, like, like me probably. And you get them a chance to, to play in the professional level and get some film and kind of show off and say, you know, Hey, you guys missed out on me. And, and I think a lot of guys from this league are going to be signed, um, right right when this season's over I, I think a lot of people are going to be in training camps um so I, I think it's great but but yeah I, I think there, there's a lot more that goes into it than than just uh you know teams taking you and and, and whether you're doing good or bad or whatever there, there's a lot of kind of politics there's a lot of stuff that goes into it with contracts and stuff like that so yeah yeah, for sure. I was. It's funny you kind of brought it up. I was going to go back to because I remember you were with Tampa Bay, and I was thinking, is that when the uh, the Aguayo kid was there? Because I remember specifically him. I mean, in college, I mean, he was so good at Florida State, obviously. But I mean, he just. I mean, I don't think anybody could have expected what happened with him. Just basically, like, I don't even think he's got a job in the league anymore. And he was a second round kicker out. You know, second round selection as a kicker, which is, I mean, I guess unheard of, really. Um, yeah. But man, yeah, that's. I mean. I just remember specifically just I'm not like a super super diehard NFL fan more college but I mean his career yeah. fell off so fast I mean no I don't think anybody saw that yeah. coming either yeah absolutely and then that's that's the funny thing is is I you know I tell people this too though is the NFL is very concerned with with quote unquote like veteran status so because he had a season under his belt 
he got signed to a bunch of teams the next year, even though, you know, he didn't have a great year at Tampa. So the NFL is much more willing to take a guy who has done bad but played a season in the NFL than take a new guy, which is, you know, it's kind of weird. And, you know, I, I know why they do it because they're, you know, they're scared of uncertainty. But, um, you know, Roberto Aguayo, after having, you know, statistically, you know, and he was a, an amazing kicker in college, the best ever, actually, um, you know, he had a really bad season. And he still got, I think he signed with Chicago after that got signed to San Diego, was on the Carolina Panthers practice squad. So because he got that accredited season, you know, he, he had chances at, you know, three or four other NFL teams, which, you know, that's another weird little caveat that, you know, specialists have in the NFL. So. All right. For sure. So the, the great, uh, yeah, you mentioned it, the great thing about the AAF, obviously giving guys like yourself a chance. Um, I would say you've taken advantage of that very well. I mean, you're a perfect 12 for 12 on field goals. We've obviously – uh, been able to get some highlights up on social media and stuff, obviously following you and your career with the Orlando Apollos. Uh, how awesome was it that it just sort of worked out that you were able to not only, you know, you get another opportunity to kick, showcase your skills, but you get to do it uh, in a beautiful city like Orlando and for your former head coach, T. Spurrier. I mean, I imagine that had to be, you were talking about kind of getting in the right situation at the right time. That had to feel like just sort of the perfect situation for you, I'd imagine. Yeah, no, absolutely. It could not have worked out better. Um, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I completely gave up kicking, you know, this past year. It was just kind of one of those things. It had been a year since I'd, you know, heard anything. And um, I wasn't going to just keep kicking. So, you know, I started a career. I'd, I'd uh, you know, do financial planning with Northwestern Mutual down in, in Atlanta. And so I had started a career doing that. Um, and then, you know, kind of get a call from Coach Spurrier. And, uh, you know, he he was telling me about the league and, you know, when he called me at first, I think it was back in May or June. And I, I was pretty upfront. I, I mean, I pretty much told him no when he first called because I didn't really know what the league was. And I thought it was kind of going to be arena league where, you know, you get a couple hundred bucks each game. And, you know, I wasn't going to throw away the job that I just started to, to you know, go do that again. And um, kind of started seeing some other people that I knew pop up in the league and kind of start asking around and, um, you know, it's, it's all public, but, but everybody makes the same money. You know, you're making 70,000 for, for 10 weeks of work. Um, and, you know, especially as a kid coming out of college, that, that beats pretty much every other, <laughs> pretty much every job coming out of college, you know, just, you know, as a form of pay. So I really went into the season as I'm going to, I'm going to play this three months, um, you know, collect my, collect my paycheck and then go back to working in finance and then maybe do it the next year because, you know, all the contracts are three years and, you know, kind of do that. And I really, I'll be honest, I really didn't have that much of a desire to go back to the NFL just because of, you know, I'd kind of seen how everything works and, um, you know, I, I, you know, it is what it is, but I, I, I don't like the fact that, you know, you could be doing really well somewhere, but, you know, you have a veteran making more money and he has a certain amount of guaranteed money. And because of that, they're going to hold on to, to that guy. You know, I don't like going into a battle where you're already going to lose it before you even go. Um, so I've, I've never, you know, I kind of wasn't too big on that, but um, you know, started the season, kept kicking and now, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I know I've, you know, been hearing good things, um, you know, but, you know, I think it definitely might open up some doors to the NFL. And, um, you know, the great thing about it is all these guys is, 
just like me, I, I can't just sit around a year and not make any money to train for football. Right. Mm. You know, you don't, you can't, I can't just train full time and not have income. So I think what this league allows a lot of guys to do, not just to get back to the NFL, but give them that ability to, you know, make, make their salary in the first 10 weeks. And then if they want to keep this up and keep grinding and keep trying, you know, they can take off the rest of the year to do football as a full-time job because they've already made that money, you know? And I think before you didn't have that, if you didn't make it the first year and you're not, you know, you got cut, I mean, there's no way to make money. You're, you're basically, you might be training and you might get a call, but you're going to have to have another job to, to make income. So I think it's an awesome opportunity. And I think, you know, like I said, I think a lot of guys are going to get opportunities to go and get a chance at the NFL again. For sure. I think one of the best things, you know, too, obviously your season's going really well. Uh, you know, again, 12 for 12 on field goals. Definitely don't want to jinx it. But you guys are really good, too, Orlando. Obviously, under under Coach Spurrier, oh, yeah. um, you guys are really, really good. What's, uh, I guess, you know, being under Coach Spurrier again, what are some things – you know, that you're experiencing, they're maybe the same or different from when you played under him in college. It is, it is funny. He is the exact same. He has not changed a bit. He, uh, he's got his, he's got his, uh, his offensive mind rolling, you know, 24 seven. And he's just, you know, creating plays here and there. And, um, you know, he's, he's a great offensive coach. And I think, you know, another thing is our, our team is, unbelievably athletic and and good I mean if you you know I I I don't know how many people are watching the games or whatever but if you watch I mean it's it's fun it really is fun to watch I mean these guys are you know we have people who have been in the league for seven or eight years and who you know might have had an injury and come out but you know we've we've got receivers that are unbelievable we've got you know I mean we are stacked at every position I mean there really is not like a a weakness on our offense or defense and it's man it's 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 been really fun to watch you know it's it's really is good football um so i'm i'm excited to see what what happens in the future but but spurrier has not not changed at all he's still kind of just got his little quirky you know the way he talks and the way he just converses with people and it's i think it's hilarious and he just kind of rolls around calling his plays and and that's that yeah, I know a lot of people got a kick out of, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when he compared the uh, the stadium you guys were playing in to Tennessee. And it was like, there was a, the, I think the crowd y'all played in front of was like 30,000 people. And he's comparing that to the 100,000. Yeah. I know that riled some people up on social media, but it's. Oh, absolutely. Well, he does spur- that better than. Yeah. He does that better than just about anyone, I think. And I, <laughs> again, I, I think obviously being on my side of it when you're on his team, um, I think it's one of the funniest things ever. You know, he just, he loves stirring the pot and he loves, man, he he's good at it too. I, I, you know, I can't speak for the people on the other side, but you know, I'm, he's one of those guys you're, you're really glad he's, he's on your side and not the other. Did coach Spurrier, I know he focuses on offense, but either in your collegiate career or now maybe, did he ever kind of get on the special teams unit? I mean, did he ever say anything to you guys or anything notable you you can remember? Um, you know, he's, he's never, you know, he's, you know, with being a quarterback, obviously he's just never focused on the special teams. You know, it's, you, you kind of let the special teams take, uh, take control of that. But, you know, he's at the same time, you know, you don't, if you do something bad, he'll call you out, you know, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of his coaching styles. He doesn't yell at people. He doesn't, 
um, you know, like get on people like that, but he like, it's really funny, you know, when it's not you, but he does the very passive aggressive, you know, like, you know, shit, Elliot, that was a, that was 43 yard. You think, you think you could make that? Well, I, I shouldn't have called the field goal. I, I thought you could make it, but I guess you couldn't, you know, like, you know, like that kind of stuff, you know, or punter hits a bad punt, snapper snaps a bad snap, you know, and he sees it. It's, he has that kind of <laughs> that <laughs> passive aggressive dig where it's again it's it is hilarious if it's not you, but I the the amount of times that I've heard him say this at South Carolina and 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 here just you know well you know it's not your fault I I put you in the position because I thought you could do it but but clearly couldn't so that's that's my fault I I shouldn't I shouldn't have done that so it's it's funny man it's he, he's a he's a character it's so funny to hear you say that because I think. Pretty much, I would say everybody we've had on that played under Spurrier, they've all said the same thing, is that he would make you feel so bad about it, you just wouldn't do it again because <laughs> he would just make you feel so bad. You're like, I- I'm not going to let that happen again. So that that's Yeah, well, it's, it's, that's, the, that's the funny thing is other coaches will, will yell at you and almost get you scared it, for, you know, I don't know what types of guys you know it works best on but god you do you do not want to mess up and have him see it I mean you you just (laughs) if if he sees it and he notices it and he calls you I mean it is like the most it is just the worst thing ever if it's you but at the same time you know everybody in the background is laughing you know because they're (laughs) like oh like you know he's getting it now and it's you always (laughs) you just you never want to be you never want to be on the other end of it but it is it's funny and it's it's his his way of coaching and and getting on people and correcting mistakes so (laughs) for sure for sure all right well before we let you go Elliot um I guess we'll end the show with this maybe favorite memory whether it includes Steve Spurrier and I know you I heard earlier it sounds like you got a pretty good Steve Spurrier impression maybe like your favorite story from South Carolina that you can uh you can share on the airwaves yeah um well, I'll, I'll I'll do this. I'll give you a funny one from here in the from the Apollos, and I'll give you a, a good one from, um, uh, you know, obviously at South Carolina there was a time where, you know, the day he did retire from South Carolina, um, you know, I, you know, I I had a tweet about it that went viral, um, but he, uh, you know, he was looking at the field and I kind of walked up behind him. You're just, just walking to our locker room and he was just kind of staring at the field and there was nobody else on it. And he just like, field looks nice, Elliot. And I was just like, yep. Okay. Like coaches, coaches off his meds again. You know, he's just out there <laughs> staring at the field and, you know, it ended up kind of being like a, you know, he was taking one last look kind of thing. Um, so that was pretty special, you know, for me to be a part of, I don't know. I think that's a great story that, you know, he, you know, what all of his accomplishments and his status you know and I kind of got to be some level part of that um was pretty cool so I I think that's a pretty good story from South Carolina but I I was actually thinking of this before I came on but just something funny he's he said here and just kind of what goes through his head so the, the first week of you know our game week here in Orlando um I had missed a couple field goals in practice um went on to, to make everything in the game. So I, I went two for two that game. And then the next week I had made everything in practice. Right. And so in his, you know, head and kind of his, his little passive aggressive thing, he goes, Elliot, you know, you, you missed, missed a bunch of field goals in practice the first week, but made them all in the game. But then you made them all in practice this week. You might, you might want to go ahead and miss one so that you don't miss them in the game this week. And it just, you know, just his, weird 
way of thinking, but I always, you know, everything he says is, you know, is funny, but I know the, the special teams guys got a, got a kick out of that one here. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because you brought up that tweet. I'd almost forgotten about that. Now I recall it, and it's funny to hear the, uh, I guess, the backstory behind it. Because I, I remember when that – I definitely remember when that was tweeted. I remember definitely – that did go viral. I, that's that's funny. It's yeah. funny how that, how that works out. That's pretty hilarious. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, we uh, – you know, obviously I appreciate you taking the time coming on. Obviously it was a lot of fun to watch in Garnet and Black, and it's been – I mean, it's been awesome to see what you're doing in the uh, in the AAF for the Apollos and – under coach Spurrier and obviously we'll be keeping up with you, you know, keeping tabs on how the season goes for you guys. Hopefully you, hopefully you guys win the championship, but yeah, man, really appreciate you taking the time and let's, let's definitely do it again sometime maybe after the season or, yeah. uh, you know, some other time for sure. Love, love, a lot of good memories to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, no, thanks for having me on and yeah, let me know if you need anything. I'd, I'd love to come back on in the future. For sure. For sure. So for, for Elliot Fry and Thomas Floyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys. Tuning in. We'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. What is it you want to do when you grow up?